and welcome once again to 007, Australia's only James Bond podcast. Can you tell the excitement levels in my voice? We are here, episode 29. Actually, I'm just going to shut up. Let's listen to a little bit of this. Can we just imagine that song in the background right now? These two people are just thrilled that we're still hearing it pumping in the background. Episode 29 for the 20th Bond film in the official canon of James Bond. It is a film that we have mentioned in every single episode in the lead up to this episode. It has been talked about. It has been mocked. It has been discussed so much so that you probably don't even give two shits about this episode. But who cares? Because we're here to talk about Die Another Day. What's that song I can hear in the background? Oh, it's still playing right now. Oh, so exciting. So happy. And, as always, we will start off by saying that my name is Ben. And I'm just here for a little sex for dinner and perhaps a bit of death for breakfast in the morning. And my name is Colin, and I also used to be a five foot five North Korean man. <laughs> uh, my name is Noah Graves, and I'm a l- little bit sick tonight, so I apologise. But I think I've come down with a bit of die another disease or something like that because <laughs> it's killing me. It's literally killing me. Die another daisies? That's um. You can start your own flower business there. I think Noah, that that might work. Oh, not? Okay. okay. The, um, the flat jokes have started early. <laughs> <laughs> that was still a better one-liner than anything in this film. Just point out, that's how this entire episode is going to play out. I'm going to say something and then there's got it to be silence and... Oh, Ben. Oh, yeah, the blinking fish, that's pretty good. That's what this <laughs> film is going to be. Oh, yes, if you've listened to any episode of Double Odds 7 in the lead up to this one, you'll know that um, basically in episode one, when I uttered the words, I like die another day, it has been an ongoing joke, I guess, um, of discussion. Joke is one way to put it. And somehow it gets managed to get brought up in every single episode. We've played a bit of the song every episode, and well, I don't need to do it right now because we've just heard it. Just kidding, let's hear it now! Oh, we're still playing it in this. Oh, because it's just amazing. Um, You're the one you've got to edit this one, you realise. Yeah, you got a problem Just giving that. yourself more work. I've got a notepad <laughs> in front of me. I know when to put things in, so... Go um, for it. But yes, the 20th James Bond film, Die Another Day, 2002, a film that uh, has divided many a Bond fan for the last 13 years. And I don't think so. I think the ratio is about like 99 to 1%. <laughs> I don't think you're building it out like this is a big 50-50 split well, rivalry. Division. 99 and 1 isn't 100%, so there's still a slight division there, though it's very, very tiny. Um now, we sort of discussed a little bit, of course, at the end of The World Is Not Enough, uh, thoughts on this one. But, um, look, let's distill a famous Noah Groves quote from the Moonraker episode of Double Oz 7. Forget that this film is basically a big cartoon. Forget that there's an invisible car. Forget that there's a giant space laser. Forget that a North Korean man turns into a Caucasian Englishman. Forget that Madonna is amazing in this film and produces one of the best James Bond songs of the entire series. This film is a barrel of fun. It is just, if you do not take this seriously, just... 
just start some um, stuff out there that I'm going to get ripped into early, then this film is just amazing. Um, Our argument was, forget the <laughs> that he goes to space. Your argument is, forget this, forget this, forget this, forget and this, forget that, and forget this. You didn't even mention the 5'5 five five Korean man that becomes a 6'0 tall British man that wears a Robocop costume for the final act. <laughs> Which is amazing. We'll get to that. But um, look, this this is just fun. There there are definitely problems with this film. I'm not making this out to be a you know the perfect James Bond film, but I can look at this film in a different light. I, I obviously um, I think we've discussed it at length, kind of which film was the one that we all sort of in the lead up really paid started paying attention to trailers and you know information on the internet things like that and. Uh, this really was the first one for me. Um, I sort of, I was in grade nine, I think, when this came out. And I remember in the months leading up to it, you know, seeing the trailers and reading all the information and, you know, hearing who was singing the song. And it was kind of the first song that I had before the movie came out. And I remember seeing this film with my dad on like a Friday night, getting all excited. I even, like, as strange as this sounds, I even remember doing what, what we did before we went and saw this movie. Like, it's just kind of still sticks very much in my memory of uh, seeing this film. Um, it's probably, uh, I think, just behind Goldeneye in terms of the film I have seen the most. It was the first film, James Bond film, I ever owned on DVD. Um, so I used to just watch it religiously. Um, but, look, I... I enjoy this film. I know this episode is just going to be so <laughs> divisive uh, in terms of just our opinions. And I am, I'm wearing my Robocop armor this episode because I am going to get <laughs> shit thrown at me left, right and center. And given I'm hosting it, I start off with the opinions and I get followed by two people going, Oh, Ben, you're a fucking idiot. How did you like the invisible car? And oh, that song is shit. So I'm prepared. Bring this episode on. I wasn't on. sounding very Australian. <laughs> Funny, that's where I'm from. Uh, so <laughs> let's let's bring this on. Let's 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 get the shit start getting flung at me. All right. Well, here we go. Uh, <laughs> took us twenty films to get here, and you know what? I I think that maybe I I mean I've been criticizing it as much as Noah, and I gave maybe too high expectations on some of the defenses I would have for this. There's a point in which. I think a movie crosses the line of being dated. And the last time I saw this all the way through was three years ago when Skyfall came out. And I've seen bits and pieces on TV. Three years ago when Skyfall came out, I was definitely very critical of it, but not nearly as much as now. This recent rewatch, I think, has officially <laughs> killed almost everything in this movie for me. Uh, short of a few, I think, shining characters that this has. Oh, wow, this movie looks so bad now. Um <laughs> You guys are going to love that the, most of the criticism is going to go towards a Kiwi on this. Uh, <laughs> Lee Tamahori, Ugh. maybe one of the worst directors in Bond history, especially in terms of you look at this now 13 years later. There is so much wrong with this. But as I said in the last episode, when I first saw this 13 years ago, at the time, it was probably the most fun I'd ever had watching a Bond movie. Um I think any Bond fan going into this, as long as you know you, you have the context of the old movies versus the new movies, is going to enjoy this the first time around. And then every time you see it since then, it'll you know diminish a little bit. Eventually, it's going to diminish to the point where you become jaded and cynical like me and Noah. <laughs> Everything with this movie is so wrong. That's pretty much where I'm at now. Um, 
I mean, yes, I was young and stupid at one point, as we all were. And the difference between <laughs> me and Noah and Ben is that Ben still seems stuck in the young and stupid <laughs> mindset. Yeah, baby. Because, in more ways than just die another day, but that's not. Yeah, because it's not even the cartoony things that are wrong with this movie. There is so much wrong that I didn't even notice before I watched this pastime. To end off on a slightly positive note, though, uh, I love Zhao. Um, I love Vlad. Uh, I really love Miranda Frost. And Pierce Brosnan is just okay. <laughs> um yeah, I'm kind of offended that you compared this to Moonraker. Um, just, no. Moonraker is a barrel of fun. <laughs> this is, uh, I don't know, a drop of fun. Um, a rotten apple in the bottom of the barrel, something like that. Um, all the barrel metaphors that you can think of. Um, I've got an interesting history with this one because... It is one of the earliest ones I owned, and I have seen it a lot, but those a lot of viewings comes from the past, the young and stupid days, to quote Colin. Um, This is hands down, along with The World Is Not Enough, the one I view the least nowadays. Um, So back in the day when this was the latest one, this film was huge. And while I didn't see it at the cinema, I do remember all the promotion, everything there. And when it came out, I watched it so many times with my friends on VHS and then DVD, and it was on television so much. Like, they played the hell out of this film. And back then, I didn't really have favourites and least favourites. I just enjoyed the Bond film, so I didn't really think too lowly of this one. Um, And... I watched and enjoyed it. It was the latest Bond film for four years, and that four years felt like a very long time between this and Casino Royale. Um, yeah. Uh, Colin pretty much summed up all my thoughts, really, so I don't want to reiterate everything. Um, when you're watching this and taking notes, um, that makes it even worse. This film gets worse with every rewatch. Um, I think I was messaging Ben about Star Wars for half of this, so I apologise if I miss any important plot points. Um, You'll be on top of all the Star Wars stuff, though, once we get to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is going to be fun. There is a few positive things I can say about this, but positive is relative to this film not relative to the entire series um yeah it's going to be an interesting one but this film is just an anomaly and lee tamahori uh cross-dressing lee tamahori which maybe we'll get to (laughs) is hands down the worst director in bond history undoubtedly um and that's regardless of what you think of die another day as a script or as an acted film just the editing and the just some of the decisions made and i'm not an expert in like uh film technique or anything like that but this is so poor some of the stuff we're watching is ridiculous um which we'll get to but yeah it's it's a very interesting one and i don't think this recent rewatch which was only a few hours ago um helped it at all so there we go there are there are three films that are often talked about in the Bond franchise as kind of just taking a complete step away from what we know of the of the series. Of course, you only live twice, Moonraker, and Die Another Day. 
Um, and I feel that obviously Noah is very high up on Moonraker. I'm very high up on this one, and I don't think any of us really were that high on You Only Live Twice. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of interesting that you know you, you jokingly say 99% are against it, 1% are sort of for it. I, I've sort of trolled the internet and kind of you know there are a few um, defensive articles out there of it, and some very interesting opinions out there of it. But um, I have to say that uh, the comment of the the day that I did find on uh, Die Another Day uh, came from a, a Radhay Sham Tewari. And uh, this, to me, sums up Die Another the Day. Famous Red Hisham Tewari? <laughs> the famous Radhisham Tewari. Tewari. Whose quote, the man. if you ever want to sum up a James Bond film, this is what it, this is what it is. For failures, there might be some other reasons. But Die Another Day was an enjoyable movie for Indian viewers. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) that to me, right there, I'm Indian. I'm happy to put my head up and say I'm a proud Indian, because maybe I am. I don't think they want you. (laughs) They love Die Another Day. It's huge there. I just love how you said that you trolled the internet, which perfectly sums up when you posted that you were a big fan of this film. (laughs) That's the definition of trolling the internet. Um... But yeah, look, there there are definitely things that I will get to that I can't even defend in this film. But um, look, well, we're 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 here. We're here for the next few hours. We're covering it. We should um, obviously fortieth anniversary of James Bond. Um, you know, people who maybe um are a bit too young to kind of know sort of all the marketing and everything behind it. You've just obviously experienced the fiftieth recently with Skyfall, but. I remember a big selling point for this film was the fact that they were paying homage to the history of, of the franchise. So the 20th film in the 40th year, um, references, which we will bring up throughout this episode, to past films. There are, there's references to every single Bond film in this in this movie. Is there one to every single one? I've got a list here which tells it where they are. That was... I haven't looked at the list, and that was literally the only thing that got me through this entire film was... Well, at least I can try and spot the references. Some of them um, are very minor. Some of them are like very like oh, okay. I can see what they're. Well, I've doing. got I've got a few, and I'm not sure if I I am stretching the truth too much on it because like who ever thought that there was five octopusy references in this film? <laughs> so I think I've I've got a bit overboard, but I'll I'll mention it every time one comes up that I spotted. But well, let's just be honest, Ben. If if you're going on the list that's on James Bond wiki. Um, the sprinkler system starting after the bomb kills Robert King compared to the sprinkler system in the gene therapy lab does not count as a tribute. Well, there's, in all fairness to that list, that is what I'm looking at, but there are a couple of others that kind of, there's actually a, a quite a good video on YouTube where someone's edited it together showing all the references. Um, and I'm pretty sure, yeah, like the world is not enough. That was basically the only one. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's loose, but it's kind of like the one that they have for, for your eyes only. Sheena Easton, the singer of the theme song, appears in the film. The si- the singer of the theme song, Madonna, cameoed in the film. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. like it's sort of... I love Live and Let Die here. Mr. Big's drug crops blow up the island of San Monique. The Icarus laser blows up Minefield. <laughs> so two things blow up in a James Bond movie. Those are the only movies. This that right, every single Bond film references every other Bond film. Um, um, there were explosions. But uh, the one thing I actually, I was reading through the trivia in IMDb, and it's actually funny because some of these ones, I, I remember reading these in sort of on the internet and newspapers in the lead up to Die Another Day. There's one here. 
uh, mentioning that Bill Clinton was going to have a cameo in the film. I remember reading that like back in the day, and there was a huge rumor floating around that Sean Connery was going to make an appearance as James Bond's father in this. I don't know if yeah, I- Colin, you remember that or not, but um, yeah, it was it was quite sort of a real a real thing in the lead up to it. So, um, I mean, do you remember sort of other things like that? I mean, as you said, Colin, you know, this is I think the the first film that you really paid a lot of attention to in, in the lead up to its release. Um, yeah, I think The World Is Not Enough uh, definitely was the first, but this was so much more. Um, I didn't hear a lot about all the tributes that were going to be in there. When the reviews started to come out, they were all talking up. You know, there's tributes to all the Bond movies. Now it's something to get excited about. Um, product placement was the thing I remember more than anything else. And this movie definitely has more... I don't know if there's more product placement, but like promotional campaigns. I mean, so much as that I would turn on the TV and there'd be the clip of James Bond using the electric razor from Die Another Day, and they'd work that in as a commercial for an electric razor. And You knew that uh, Sony Ericsson's was so big in North Korea. Who <laughs> <laughs> knew there are a lot are. of things big in North Korea? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, as far as the tributes go, there weren't really that many that were spoiled for me. So when I went into the movie, I was aware that some of them would be in there, uh, but it was fun to be able to notice them for the first time. No, or I'm guessing you would have been way too young to remember anything. <laughs> Just- apparently laughing at the fact that you were young when this film came out (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no I remember a lot of this coming out Um, this was and maybe it's my hazy memory but this was bigger than Skyfall's promotion in what I remember Um, and maybe that's because I purposely didn't read too much into Skyfall but I remember this was huge the amount of times I saw that car chase on the ice Mm -hmm. in commercials is just crazy that was everywhere and um there's a show here well there was a show here in australia called comedy inc which is like a sketch show um and they did die another day sketches for probably about 10 weeks straight if not more there were so many freaking die another day sketches so yeah it was huge i remember there was also yeah it's interesting colin mentioned the the sort of product placements. I remember all like the merchandise in stores. I remember Zao's Jaguar, the Aston Martin you could get. Um, I, I think there might have been some sort of like Pepsi or some sort of uh, product out there. You bought something and you got Die Another Day merchandise or something with it. Um, and like this really is. I think the last James Bond film to, like, obviously we get some marketing with the the Craig films, but I feel they're more kind of sophisticated. Like, I saw an ad for some, you know, brand of vodka for the Craig films, you know, kind of going out there a bit more sophisticated, and there's those Heineken ads and all that sort of stuff out there. Whereas, you know, back then, like, we're really getting, like, die-cast models and things like that, and you've, of course, got those giant posters, character posters, you know, you've got a Zao poster, you've got a Jinx poster. Don't have a, um, sadly, Davidov posters. uh, Davidov. (laughs) return <laughs> long gone but um yeah it's i mean obviously you know we will talk about it throughout the film it's sort of the last bond film of this i guess first part of the series before it was rebooted four years later so um obviously we will get to a, bits of that throughout this film and probably you two will defend why it happened because of this movie but we should really get started um in terms of what happens in this film and I think straight away there is something to talk about, uh, something which, funnily enough, I was re-listening to one of our previous episodes where I mentioned uh, my thoughts on this opening bit, and I was promptly laughed at. So I'm expecting to be promptly laughed at when I say a few words right now. We get the gun barrel. 
uh, as we do in every single James <laughs> Bond film, except for three of the Craig films at the beginning. Uh, we see Pierce walking along, strolling. How you doing, James? We hear a gunshot, and what comes straight at us? A bullet! For the very first time in <laughs> 20 James Bond films, a bullet comes at us. I remember seeing this in the movies, and I, I shat myself. I loved it. I thought it was great. I'm like, wow, that's actually a novel idea. Why has that never happened? Um, and to this day, I love it. I love the bullet. I don't know why. I think it's a great touch. Um, please talk about the bullet when we get through this opening sequence, because there's a bit to cover. Um, we then get the only realistic surfing scene in this film, and it's still not all that realistic. Uh, we see one guy surfing, two guys surfing, three guys surfing, um, and then we see a, a ginormous beach in North Korea, Pukchong Coast in North Korea, with giant uh, things to stop boats from arriving there. Um, we get our first taste of um, questionable uh, CGI in this film, green screen, with Brosnan and the crew um, standing in front of quite clear... Uh, green screen, uh, they're waiting around, they fix some little uh, wires up and we see a helicopter changing course and landing near them and then a guy gets out, just happens to be wearing the same clothes as Bond and um, <laughs> Bond uh, steals the case. I love the bit where he takes his glasses and has his little smirk at him, discovers in this case we've got diamonds and off Bond goes to fly to Colonel Moon's uh, base in the demilitarized zone in North Korea and uh, throughout this scene we see uh, uh, you know pleasant looking North Korean general having a nice uh, kickboxing session nothing unusual about that till we find out his anger therapist is in that bag <laughs> uh, which I love actually I think it's fantastic um, the helicopter's there Mr. Van Beek or Beck whatever his name is um, Bond meets Zhao for the first time I am Zhao you are late um, I will say, one point I will make out, and I know, Noah, you'll probably quickly point out, there is some woeful acting in this movie. Uh, so. Why are all the North Koreans American? <laughs> yeah. They went, first of all, they went to Oxford, not Harvard. <laughs> and Harvard. They can't even get the accent straight. He did mention he went to, to Harvard, didn't he? He said he went to Oxford and Harvard. But uh, Jeez, I, I went wrong. to London once. I don't sound like a... <laughs> so Bond is there with his diamonds He's going to trade it for some weapons In come the weapons um, On hovercrafts And um, <laughs> God, People listening to this who have never seen the movie are going What? Um, <laughs> in the meantime uh, Zhao who of course uh, Took a sneaky selfie uh, With Bond, not really, he could have done that would have been fun uh, Learns on his little uh PDF or what are they called? Those PDAs, those things before smartphones. Yeah. Um, that he's uh, with the British Secret Service. He rocks up and uh, tells uh, Mr. Uh, what's his name? Colonel Moon. Um, I've forgotten his name already. That he's a Mr. British- Colonel Moon. Is that <laughs> a diamond? Uh, diamonds are forever. Reference <laughs> yes. with the Professor Doctor Metz. Yes, We're already exactly. up to the reference. There you go. We've got Mr. it already. Mr. Colonel Moon informs him that he's a British uh, assassin. Uh, so, of course, uh, Colonel Moon's not too happy about this. Demonstrates the, the weapon, uh, blows up his helicopter, kills the random two Korean agents that we really didn't see too much of, um, and we get the line, how do you expect a 
kill me now, Mr. Bond, or whatever it is. Um, and then we get a phone call on the walkie-talkie. His father's coming. He sees fire. Oh, no. So they've got to hide all the weapons, which Bond promptly, who has placed C4 underneath the diamonds, detonates them to escape. Um, diamonds go into the face of Zhao. We'll get to that after. And then we get a hovercraft chase. The hovercrafts are there to go over the mines in the demilitarized zone. Bond kicks some ass, blows up a heap of shit, kills a bunch of people, has a bit of a battle with Colonel Moon, and eventually leads to him crashing over what I believe is the border um, into South Korea and off over the cliff. Well, good, Colonel Moon's dead. We won't see him at all in the rest of the film. Bond is... have nothing to declare. <laughs> Bond is where saved by reference? the bell. <laughs> yeah, where was that reference? Nothing to declare. Um, he's saved by the bell. We think, oh, well, here we go. We're about to see the title credits. But, oh, no, here comes a bunch of angry, pissed-off North Koreans who capture Bond and grab him, throw him into a water boarding bit before we get into <laughs> a fantastic song. But I'll close it out there because there's a lot to cover here. It's quite a long opening sequence. I enjoy it. Um, I think that it's a good start to the movie. Lots of action. This is another one of these scenes which they always show in kind of like the trailers and the promo for it. Um, and yeah, really sets up a lot. First time we've ever really had a sort of a focused plot in North Korea, 2002. Of course, North Korea was a lot in the news, so it kind of makes sense that this was something that they focused on. Um, but yeah, I, I think a, a fairly decent start to this movie. Oh, fairly decent is so overselling this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's start with what's not the obvious. The thing that's taken me 13 years to be bothered by. They're basically sneaking into a North Korean military base. How is surfing the most logical way to do this? Like, speaking of North surfing, Korea. Well, I mean, surfers start on shore, make their way, I don't know, a couple hundred feet out maximum where the waves actually will start and then make their way back. So <laughs> was Bond already on shore, went out, decided to surf for a little bit and came back? Like, in no way is this a way you can sneak onto a beach. <laughs> if they had been airdropped in, I would get it. If they were swimming underwater, if he was in his little fake crocodile thing that we see later in the movie in the Q lab I'd get it but how did this work did they get dropped from a helicopter on surfboards you know to the point where the waves start maybe 150 feet out like it makes no sense at all why they're surfing (laughs) uh credit for doing the real stunt and not doing it CGI here because there's a great special feature on the DVD where you could see they filmed this for real but it doesn't make any sense um nor does it make sense how Bond would know exactly what Van Bierk was going to be wearing that day. <laughs> Their outfits are identical. Oh, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, Colonel Sun Moon. Uh, yeah. I, I don't mind the whole, you know, get me a new anger therapist. It's kind of a fun line. If that was the one line they had in the movie. But why they felt like... They had to do the exact same not-so-subtle reference over and over again. Every time you see him, he's basically just shouting and spitting and doing something completely irrational. There's no reason for him to blow up his own cars. Like, it, it, it's just, there's nothing subtle about this character. If it had just been that one line, I would have liked it, but it's just, it's the same thing over and over again. And we mentioned the American accents. <laughs> Why are these North Koreans speaking American all the time? I mean... 
there, there's not. I, I know people who have been here. I have a very good friend of mine who moved here at 17 from China. And he was here for 10 years, and I still could barely understand a word he was saying half the time. Like, you don't just pick up an American accent for one or two years, even if they were at Harvard. And we know he spent the majority of his time at Oxford. Nothing makes sense here, Ben. <laughs> and let's talk about Bond's great escape plan. Like, I like the line he has, don't blow it all at once. So there are some good one-liners in this movie. But this C4, like... There are four men standing right next to this giant wad of C4, and they just get knocked off their feet. <laughs> this should be blowing their guts all over the cars and all over the military base. This giant mass of C4 buried in the briefcase <laughs> knocks them off their feet, doesn't even do enough damage for Zhao to do anything, but have a couple of diamonds embedded in his skin. Not even, like, embedded in his skull. Still noticeable, not even breaking through the second layer of skin. <laughs> this is the weakest C4 I've ever seen. Um, thankfully, we have a bit of a cool hovercraft chase after this. You know, there's some good stunt driving in there. Um, I don't mind the fight scene with, you know, Colonel Moon. Uh, the the Save by the Bell line is pretty awful. Um, I, I It's awful. Let's be honest. Save by the Bell. Uh, <laughs> hey, what's so bad about that? could he say oh ring a ding ding i killed him <laughs> yeah i would rather that than have flashbacks of a bad 90s teen sitcom oh <laughs> um, save by the bell was awesome uh, said nobody ever other than people who didn't grow out of the dumb kid phase <laughs> <laughs> wow but uh i'm gonna say i would have loved to have not had it spoiled that he was taken prisoner because that was one thing that, for whatever reason, nobody had a problem spoiling. Like, the movie actually begins with James Bond becoming a prisoner. And the title sequence is worked into that. And then the next scene follows up on him being in prison for a year and a half. If that had not been spoiled, it would have been such a great surprise. And it would have been a way to make you take the movie a little bit more seriously. But the fact that it was spoiled going in, that, that's something that I really wish hadn't happened. Because I do like the idea of doing something that different in the movie. So, I have one positive thing to end off on. But I, I like the hovercraft chase and... You know, the, the don't blow it all line is pretty good. Uh, I, I do like Zhao, his introduction where he says you're late, because I just wanted a line where it's like, uh, you know, it's like, uh, I'm Zhao, you're late. And he's like, the name's Van Bierk, late Von, Van Bierk. <laughs> <laughs> One of the great one-liners that we never saw in the movie. But yeah, so much about this doesn't make sense. It's not just the Robocop suits and the invisible cars. Nothing in this movie makes sense. Um... Yeah, I. This is the blinking fish all over again when you defended the bullet flying out of the. Because um, that's so James unusual Bond... for a bullet to come out of a gun. I mean, God, that's just. It doesn't make <laughs> for sense. For a bullet to come out of a gun and then fly into the barrel of another gun. Because <laughs> Bond is a great shot. <laughs> that happens all the time. Bullets flying into other barrel guns. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, the surfing, yeah, dumb, 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 dumb. <laughs> uh, because I is surfing big in North Korea? Like, I don't know. Like, are they even on the border where there would be those oceans? I don't know my North Korean geography. I love but, how you're um, ripping into poor North Korea. I'm sure they probably fucking love surfing. Why is that a bad thing? Poor North Korea. Um, <laughs> 
this was this not the opportunity to have a spy love me reference if we're going to chuck references everywhere and get him on a jet ski coming in or something um so there's that uh was that, this supposed to be an octopusy one where Bond poses as someone else in the pre-title sequence? I'm not sure if that I'm reading into that or not. Um, remember when he did that with the general guy at that base in Octopussy? Um, no, I guess not. <laughs> not. Not according to jamesbondwikia.com. Yeah, well, if they're anything like a different wikia.com, <laughs> then I'm not sure much we can trust that. Uh, and Colin kind of alluded to uh, Colonel Moon, a reference to Colonel Sun in um, from the 60s novel, a James Bond novel. Um, the, what, do they ever explain why they can't just get some tweezers and pull the diamonds out of his face? Yeah, I've always thought they, that. <laughs> like, uh, have you actually tried, Sal? Like, or do you like the diamond look? I don't know what's going on there. Um, the hovercraft, and again, I don't know if I'm reading into this, but I consider diamonds and hovercrafts within a minute of each other to be a diamonds are forever reference. Um, like, I'd find it hard to believe that's not supposed to be diamonds are forever there. Is that on your precious wiki? Um, I don't think so, no. Jeez, all my references are just pulling out of nowhere. No, the diamonds are... laser weapon's probably not on there either, is it? The, the Diamonds Are Forever reference comes from... Uh, Gustav Graves says, Diamonds are forever, but life isn't. Before the fencing duel, in a magazine ad for Gustav Graves' company, the caption at the bottom says, Diamonds are forever. Wait, they use the same weapon that drives the entire plot, and that's the closest they could get to Diamonds Are Forever? It pretty much is the plot to Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah. And Goldeneye in a way, too. They don't have anything mentioned for that as well in Goldeneye. I like the way that they they make it that you can only have one per film when there's about five from Russia with love references. Well, we'll add. We'll, we'll edit the jamesbondwikia.com to add all the other references according to Double Oz 7. I like the idea that... Um, that they just use random obscure references from James Bond that no one ever gets. Like they just chuck in like a Vargas reference in this film or something like that. And <laughs> that's what they needed to do. We should re-edit it to have the most obscure James Bond references in there. Um, James Bond the says Bond, James Bond, car. just like he did in Live and Let Die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the hovercraft, it was so much more impressive when I was younger. Like, when I watched it this time, I'm like, uh, pretty good. Um, yeah. Like, it, it's okay, but it's like, why is he catching his own country on fire with, like, a flamethrower thing? Like, does he not worry about potential bushfires that blow up, burn his dad's entire dynasty or whatever he's got going on there? Um, he blew up his own military base. This is what I said. There's no rationalization to this over-the-top character. They're North yeah, Korean! Are you just the one who just said poor North Korean? Because they like surfing. I'm not saying they're not angry, weird people. <laughs> like, Jeez, Wait, North Koreans North... are angry and weird now? She called North Koreans angry, weird people. Well, then, what are they going to do? Hack <laughs> into my computer and threaten to kill people if I release this episode a la the, the interview? Come on. I'm sure there's plenty of North Koreans who are not angry and weird. But well, anyway, we wouldn't know because um... we'd never hear about them because they're kept under lock and key. Well, we never hear about them, but apparently they're big on surfing, though. 
You know about their number one hobby, apparently. We've never heard about them. The one though. person who defected came out and was like, we love surfing. That's all I can talk about. How many North Koreans are enrolled in Oxford? Or even Harvard, for that matter? Um, well, I'll call them in between editing this and putting it out to answer that question. The census or something. Wouldn't you... speaking an American accent because it would, like, blasphemy to a communist nation? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we don't know anything about them, but they love surfing. Uh, <laughs> so... Yeah, hovercraft. I, I'll give you that. It's a pretty cool thing. Like Pierce kicks ass in this scene, um, so it's pretty good. But way more underwhelming than I remembered. And then uh, through up to oh no, there's a there's a hovercraft sized door leading up to us right now. <laughs> Perfect size for this hovercraft to smash through. Um, so that happens. Saved by the bell. Yeah, it's not a good line. I don't know what else they could have used, but it's not great. They could have just not used anything for once. Um, and talk- Ding dong, the weird, angry North Korean's dead. <laughs> <laughs> At least he can go and surf or something. I don't know. I should have belted him myself or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's all I've got to add, other than why couldn't he just use tweezers to get rid of his diamonds? <laughs> Um, Colin, did you want to add something about the bullet? Sorry, I was being a bit quiet there. because I didn't Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I completely forgot about the whole um, gun barrel thing. Here's the funny thing. You were talking about how you saw this and you were just blown away by it. <laughs> I had just finished watching for the first time ever. I had seen every James Bond movie leading up to this. And I missed it the first time. I, <laughs> I didn't see anything with it. I, I think this is one of those things where I will defend a bit because I never saw it as being that big of a deal. Maybe that's because the first time I saw this, it completely slipped by me. Um, but I came back home and heard people complaining about it on the internet. And I'm like, what are they talking about? I went back a second time just to see what they were talking about. However, it does make no sense why the gun barrel is going inside another gun's barrel. But um, it's not something that I think like this is like a you know, breaking point for the movie. But it's just, it's still really strange to me how but I could have. But I love the fact that this seems to be a question that you're annoyed about. Let's analyze the fact that in 20 films, some person is pointing a gun at James Bond and is so <laughs> stupid enough not to shoot him to allow themselves to be shot. They've got a good 10 seconds on Bond in every film. Pull the trigger! He's moving! <laughs> so what? Well. <laughs> Again, just a little bit of a defense of the gun barrel scene. I think you know, having a bullet is it something that I prefer. No, I prefer it the other way. If I do, we do see a bullet. Let's see it go overhead. Let's not see it go inside another <laughs> gun barrel. But like, in reality, you know, this has gone from being a silhouetted man to a very clear vision of Pierce Brosnan. They're, they have made changes to the gun barrel. This is something so sacred where you can't change it. And, and I'll be honest, if I say which one I hate more, the gun barrel music in, what was it, License to Kill and Goldeneye, and the gun barrel, entire gun barrel sequence here with the bullet, I'd rather take the bullet over the gun barrel music that we had in those previous movies. Let's not argue the logistics of the James Bond gun barrel because we'll be on Die Another Day forever. I just don't understand why they chose to well, do Well, at least that. it's at the start of the film. We don't see this at the start of a film for another, what, 13 years? So, come on, give it that at least. Um, no. that, 
I just, I just want, I want people to go back and listen to the Moonraker episode because what is going to be hilarious this episode is I'm going to be here like, oh, this is great, this is fantastic. I'm going to have both Colin and Noah going, how the hell is he wearing the same clothes? And what is this? Doesn't make sense. This is like me completely in Moonraker. So it's come to this. And um, let's just say that this didn't have a double take pigeon in it. So, um, anyway. But it had plenty of other shit things in it, so... This is our, our 29th episode of Double Oz 7. And, uh, in it's only a number. Each of those 28 <laughs> episodes, we have heard a snippet of a song. That song is what we're about uh, to talk about now. Uh, and let's, let's just say right now, if you hate this song as much as these two people who are about to come and put their opinions in in just a few moments... Fast forward the next five minutes because you don't want to hear me talk about this song. Five right? minutes? <laughs> I've been building up for this for a long time, okay? Yeah, we've, not five minutes. We've had discussions in our chat. I've been mocked. I've been ridiculed. Now it's my time to speak. First of all, the sequence. Let's not even start with the song. Let's start with the sequence. We get uh, Bond getting waterboarded, water tortured, whatever. And it kind of leads then into the, the sequence where we get little scorpion tails. And it's the first real opening sequence where it actually is still continuing on the storyline. We're seeing Bond get tortured by weird, angry, slightly attractive North Korean woman who's... By fire and ice women. <laughs> fire and ice women. He's getting to- with the story. tortured with water, tortured with uh, scorpions. Um, he's growing his hair long. Um, he's, he's getting abused, um, and, I mean, I think, Colin, you sort of touched on the fact that it was spoiled. Yeah, I remember that being spoiled, but, I mean, this is something that we've never had. We've never had Bond actually being captured and held for this amount of time. So, I think it's a nice little touch that we see this through the opening credits. I, I remember when I first saw this opening credits, I hated it. Like, I was like, what the hell? We don't see what's happening in the film in the opening credits. This is, this is going, you know, this doesn't work, but it's kind of one of these things that over the years I actually quite like the fact that they're showing this story throughout. It's better than seeing Sheena Easton floating around singing a song. Um, and the graphics, like, I like the Scorpion Tales, the way they, like, go up with the music. Um, Fire and Ice Women, I kind of like it. It's fine. Um, I like sort of Ember Women coming from the fire, like, floating around through the... Uh, the sky, um, and I think it's I think it's fine. I, I I don't think it's the best Brosnan credits, but I think it's probably third uh, out of the four of them. Um, <laughs> Second last. But I as I mean, I've always been. I always think that the Brosnan credits are great because they really kind of tie in with the story well. And I think that you know, as I said, I think it's Goldeneye. We really don't have a bad opening credits, with the exception of maybe Quantum of Solace. The song. Ah, the song. Now, this, I mentioned it was the first one that I really sort of owned before um, I ever kind of saw the movie. And look, this was 15-year-old Ben really finding his fandom for the Queen of Pop, (laughs) Madonna. Um, And I was so excited, the fact that she was the one who was doing this song. And I remember hearing this song for the first time. I had my friend and I listened to it, and we just sort of looked at each other and were like, well... That was different. Um, you know, that was not what I was thinking, but gradually listened to it, listened to it, listened to it. Just absolutely loved it. And yes, I am a Madonna fan. I don't care. People can send all the hate mail to me, whatever. I, I don't give a shit. So, of course, you might think I'm a little bit biased in that opinion. But can I just say that, yes, it is 
a real sort of skew away from what we know of James Bond music. They tried to, and let's bring this quote out because I've been waiting to get laughed at for a very long time, adapt to the times. And... Oh, <laughs> so many flaws with that argument. You can bring the flaws, whatever, I'm still going to put it out there. It's something that they have tried to do with numerous songs in James Bond. The The style of music, sort of electro-electronic music, was quite big in 2002. They tried to do it. And the thing is, this isn't purely electro. There is orchest- orchestral elements to this song, and I think that sounds fantastic. Listen to the instrumental. This is a great instrumental. And No. <laughs> Um, lyrically, oh, here comes Ben defending the lyrics again of a James Bond song. Um, if you actually look at the lyrics... <laughs> when did Munchkins join the po- podcast? <laughs> Meerkats, Noah. Um, it's, you know, I think we went into this in one of our previous episodes. There, Lyrically, it explains what is happening. He's getting, like, killed. He's, like, wanting to close his body now, which we will see. But luckily, Sigmund Freud showed up to save the day. <laughs> He's, he's, we don't want James Bond closing his body on Sigmund Freud's watch. It's basically telling the story of Bond in captivity having to stay alive and that he needs to die another day because he's got to go out there and fight the world and, you know, save it. Um, look, Madonna did what she did with this song. It's a fantastic song. I don't give a shit what you two say. Rip it to bits. Whatever. Call me an asshole. Call me a dumb young Whatever. But it is fantastic. <laughs> it is a different Bond theme. It is. I still think that it works for the time. It works for this film. This is a film that is just out there and check your head at the door. Just enjoy it for what it is. Same with this song. This song I can listen to completely separately from the James Bond music as a, just a normal song. Uh, Success-wise, well, we've gone over this a bit. It was the highest charting song since A View to a Kill. Uh, it was the fifth most successful dance track of the 2000s. Put that out there. Um, and it is just awesome. So there we go. You fast-forwarded. You've listened. Oh, and the film clip. Can I just point out? Film clip, second most expensive film clip ever made in the history of music. And if you've never seen it, it's got lots of James Bond elements and themes to it. It's great. Madonna looks amazing. Get fucked, Colin. Get fucked, Noah. This song is awesome. Go get fucked. Wasn't Kevin Costner's Waterworld the most expensive movie in history? Does that mean that it's good? (laughs) I don't know what kind of argument that is. Um I'm going to save my arguments on the song for a second. I'll just get the title sequence out of the way. Because the title sequence is pretty good. Uh, this is, I would actually say, uh, I, I thought I liked Tomorrow Never Dies and World's Not Enough better. But the graphics and everything for this, the fact that it does incorporate the movie, that's not something that bothered me when I first saw it. I still think that this is second to GoldenEye, obviously. But it's a little bit ahead of World's Not Enough and definitely ahead of Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, the song. Ben, your argument of take it for what it is only works if you don't think Madonna sucks balls on any given day, which I think Madonna sucks balls on any given day. Uh, She's allowed to. (laughs) She's a Bond girl. I guess she is, right? Um, Wow. What do we even say about this? Okay. I have two main things I want to cover with this song. First of all, This song, not so much anymore, but at the time, there was a lot of defense for this song talking about how it's the biggest Bond theme ever, therefore it must be the best and most popular. 
And even at the time, you could not find any Bond fan that liked this song outside of, you know, one 15-year-old in Tasmania. Um, <laughs> two, my friend that liked it. Two, that had some severe... He was just pretending uh, so you wouldn't leave him. I've never had a yeah, friend. Yeah, they had some severe mental issues as it was, as we've discovered. But um, this is not a song that Bond fans like. It was a song that Madonna fans liked, and Madonna, all of her songs were big at this point. Uh, there were a lot of 40-year-olds out there and uh, unusual 15-year-old boys that liked Madonna. But this song never worked for Bond fans because it's not really a Bond song. There's nothing about this that sounds like a Bond song. Not that that means that it should be immediately discounted. For 13 years, I have wondered about this. When this song first came out, it was the first time I ever heard a song before seeing the movie. Uh, I I actually went back to that for Skyfall, where I or, or went against that for Skyfall, and I enjoyed that. It was the first song I enjoyed in a long time. But from this point on, I listened to the songs before the movies came out, and I tended to not like the songs a lot. With this one especially, I had the same reaction to you. I'm like, that was kind of weird. Like, that didn't sound like Bond at all. And I've wondered the entire time, especially compared to A View to a Kill, like you mentioned. Were there people at the time that Video Code came out that had the same reaction, thinking this is a terrible song, this doesn't sound like a Bond theme, it's so different, because the two songs can be compared a lot. This is the difference. 30 years later, people still have a high opinion of A View to a Kill. Bond fans have come around to liking A View to a Kill. 13 years later, this song still sucks. (laughs) It is no better uh, than it was 13 years ago. It is worse. It is a terrible song. It's a dated song. The lyrics are so over the top, it doesn't make any sense. Um, Madonna is just... Oh, oh, Noah, do you have anything of value to add on this? When I say anything of value, any anything where you could... I, I'm just almost flustered even trying to <laughs> def- figure out how Ben can defend this song. It is It is not a Bond theme at all. It's so terrible. This is... Maybe the worst Bond theme of all time. And that includes Never Say Never Again. Yeah, I don't think that's a maybe there. Um, (laughs) Yeah, do I have anything of value to add? Well, not really. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I just... The argument used that they were keeping up with the times is dumb. Because um, I think... I wish we went back and we, we... got our rebuttal from the chat when Ben brought that up one random day um, and we go like oh yes that uh, glam rock theme from the early 70s and that grunge theme from the 90s and like well if no if I could interrupt for just a second Ben you talked about keeping up with the times I'm going through every number one album in the year 2002 and I'm finding almost <laughs> a 50-50 split between country music and hip hop now, we have never heard a hip-hop bomb theme, nor should we, and we've never heard Alan Jackson or Shania Twain or the Dixie Chicks, who were the biggest acts of that year, do a bomb theme. So this is not keeping up with the times. I'll, I'll, I'll come back at that. Keep going now. Uh, do we have to? Um, <laughs> Ben's building up a mental huge comeback here. Um, it's just, yeah, let's just think for a minute it's keeping up with the times and maybe you're right this was popular music at the time i'm not sure i've never really taken too much notice of mainstream music unlike like you do um so maybe it was 
But regardless, that doesn't give it a free pass to ultimately being a good song just because it was timely. Uh, One Direction was one of the biggest bands last year, two years ago, whatever. Keeping up with the times, if they did a Bond song, would that mean it's ultimately good because it kept up with the times? No. Um, So that's dumb. And I don't know, this whole thing of they tried something different I feel like people use that as an argument to defend something, but different isn't always good. Different can be horrible, and we saw an example of trying something different didn't work. This, it was shit. It's the worst Bond song ever. Um, It doesn't sound like a Bond song. It's actually painful to listen to, and I just got twice as sick as I, I already was when I had to listen to it, and I actually considered skipping it. Because I, I do skip it every time, um, except for this time, because we needed to talk about it. it it's it's really bad. Um, I just don't have really anything positive to say about it. It's the worst Bond song. As for the title, um, as the sequence, it's it's not bad. I definitely like the idea of, well, they had to have 14 months later, so how do we incorporate that into the plot? Oh, into the sequence, and I think they did an, an okay job. It's not one of the best, but I definitely like the concept of that, so I guess that's good. I'm not sure about electronic sparking babes. They were a bit out of place. Um, were the scorpions a reference to Diamonds Are Forever, or am I just trying to find Diamonds Are Forever references everywhere so we don't have to talk about this film? I'm not sure. Um, finally, the lyrics... It's how ironic the lyrics are. Like, I'm going to break the cycle. Yeah, she certainly did that. Um, I'm going to shake up the system. Definitely did that. I'm going to destroy my ego. Um, well, let's not go there. Um, I'm going to turn on a lot of 15-year-old Tasmanians. <laughs> For every sin, I'll have to pay. Yes, this was a massive sin. <laughs> um, I've come to work. Well... We didn't want you. I've come to play. No thanks. Um, I love this one. I'm going to avoid the cliche she sings. Uh, she sings a cliche, horrible electronic dance song, whatever you want to call it. I know Ben knows the proper name for it. I'm going to suspend my senses. Well, I needed to do that too to get through this song. Um, I'm going to delay my pleasure. Well, that's pretty much just a whole metaphor for Casino Royale coming up after two hours of this film. <laughs> um, yeah, there's just so much here. It's not my time to go. Well, I'm sorry, Madonna. It is your time to go. And Sigmund Freud, analyze this, analyze this, analyze this, WTF. Um Ah, this song! No! I didn't know that Sigmund Freud dealt in Tourette's, too. <laughs> Why is he analyzing over and over? Analyze, analyze, so analyze. so glad this is the last time we're going to be hearing this song. I'm ready no, for this not. to be put to bed. Because <laughs> I just... Uh, I know you're a Madonna fan, Ben, but I can't find any redeeming factors of this song, and I tried. Trust me, I tried. Ben, I love how you call it a so cliche. sorry you have to... We're so sorry you have to live your life like this, Ben. <laughs> I love how you call it a cliche dance song when you just admitted a few moments ago you don't listen to popular music and this type of music. So how do you know it's a cliche dance song? Because I still hear the songs and there's plenty of songs that sound like this. If you probably don't listen... Well, you probably do listen to One Direction, Ben. <laughs> no one doesn't listen to One Direction, but I'm sure he's familiar with them. I still knew who they were. 
I just want to quickly say, again, laugh all you want about keeping up with the times and all that sort of stuff. I mean, we talked about this in the 80s. We talked about these 80s sounding songs that were take them out of the period and you straight away know you're in the 1980s with a view to a kill with the living daylights. You know that. Um, 70s song have a sound to it. 60s songs have a sound to it. The 90s songs have a sound to it. And yeah, you sort of said about country and rap sort of were, you know, number one albums, but dance music was really coming into its element in the early 2000s. It'd been around for about 10, 15 years prior to that, but it was sort of only really into the mid to late 90s and the early 2000s that it was becoming mainstream where it was fully charting on a regular basis. And, yeah, I know, trust me, as a fan of dance music, I know it has its critics. We had that in the last episode, didn't we, Colin, when you basically said they were just CD player owners or something like that. Like, <laughs> fair enough. That's 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 your opinion of it. I can easily put my opinion out there of punk music, but we're not getting into that. Um, Sigmund Freud analysed well, this. Um, Spy Love Me came out in 1977. Where was the Sex Pistols theme song for The Spy Who Loved Me? Well, they could Forget have... that. The 90s, you could have had Offspring or Bad Religion or somebody doing a but Bond theme. But I think the thing here is that keeping up with the time, like, there's not one genre that is the main genre of an era. There are multiple genres that are big and keeping up with the times. Um, you know, sort of people like Garbage and Shania Twain were very big artists in the 1990s. They were at the height of their popularity and that style of music was there. Um, and they went, they deliberately went out with this song to try and find a big name artist because Garbage, as, as much as we might like the song, it didn't chart very well and it wasn't very ultimately successful for them. So they deliberately had to go and find someone and they, they went off for Madonna based purely on the success of Beautiful Stranger from from Austin Powers too, um, and just quickly, Sigmund Freud analysed this. Madonna has come out and said that this was her interpretation of the film's storyline. So the whole line, "I'm going to destroy oh my, my ego," Sigmund Freud <laughs> analysed this is her interpretation of it. And the funny thing she is, she read the script. <laughs> <laughs> she was in the movie. I'm guessing she read some of the script. Um, yeah, that was her interpretation of the fencing scene. One thing I will say finally is that this, and you mentioning about Bond fans hating this song. Well, I would point that out there that there are some Bond fans that do like this song, and this this song. Yeah, in India. <laughs> So now you're shitting on our Indian listeners now that they don't have No, I'm just pointing out a country that enjoys apparently everything in this film. The, you can basically summarise this song as the opinions of it being so polarising, the fact that not only was it nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Song in a Motion Picture, it was nominated for a Grammy for Best uh, Song in a Motion Golden Picture, Globe. it was also nominated for a Golden Razzie for Worst Song in a Motion Picture. So that, to me, sums up the opinions of this Did song. Did it win? No, it didn't. It didn't win either of them. Oh, it was Rob. I love that you mentioned the Golden Globes, which is probably headed up by Peter Travers, which is like the worst award show ever. They're putting The Martian up for best comedy this year. (laughs) And you're talking about how it got nominated for a Golden Globe. This song was up for best comedy. Uh, (laughs) Poor Hollywood foreign press and Indians and North Koreans. We apologize to all of you listening to this episode. All right. we We could at least figure out, though, that... Uh, die another day is to India what David Hasselhoff is to Germany. <laughs> That's a bad uh. thing? <laughs> now the Germans are getting into this. <laughs> Leave them alone. Um, we, the, only, the only country we could bag out in this uh, episode is New Zealand. That's what die another day was missing, David Hasselhoff. Why not? <laughs> 
talk about freedom. Running up the beach in North Korea. All right. Uh, we'll talk more about this song, no doubt, in our music episode. Uh, out of the credits, 14 oh, months right. later, we have Hipster Bond uh, in jail. He's growing a beard. He's growing long hair. Um, Not much of a beard for 14 years. I know. I was kind of thinking that. Like, he's growing... Like, why is his hair longer than his beard? Like, shouldn't... It, like, if that was why me... Why is his chest hair longer than his beard? <laughs> The last hairy the chest bond. Are very particular. They groomed him during this period. <laughs> <laughs> that that random sexy guard lady who kept putting scorpions on him was um very much into the chest hair. Maybe that's the torture. We'll constantly keep you in the itchy period. Of the- <laughs> <laughs> and for all those women and men out there who love their James Bonds hairy chested, we'll make the most of this because we're about to have uh, smooth chested James Bond for the next thirteen years. But I can't, uh, I can't remember where I read it, so I can't give credit. I apologise. I did not come with, up with this, but it is great though. Like the Koreans' number one uh, torture method: playing Madonna over <laughs> while Bond has to <laughs> sit there the whole time. That's the ultimate torture method. <laughs> Haha. Um, now, uh, <laughs> we see Bond brought out, um, you know, he's been shit beaten out, he's grown his hair. We've covered that. Um, we're finding out that he still hasn't cracked. Um, I like the line there when it's like, I don't condone what they do here. And he's like, tell it to the concierge. Um, and then we're kind of finding out that um, throughout this whole process, uh, that the the general wants to know who his son's ally was in the West. Uh, we find out, obviously, whoever that person is is the same person that's betrayed Bond. Dun, dun, dun. Um, then Bond goes out, goes on a foggy bridge, which I fucking love. Love the fog. It's great. Um, I think Bond's about to get killed. Oh, no, James Bond is going to die. He's going to die. But he's actually just getting marched on a foggy bridge. He's being traded for pimply diamond face, who still hasn't found those tweezers. Um, Zhao, uh, off Bond pops. Uh, he sees Robinson. He has a polite little wave before getting a needle um, stuck in him. He's sent to a little medical facility with the most advanced medical tools I've ever seen for 2002. Um, do love the line there when, of course, they're, uh, you know, going through scanning him, finding out the, uh, the scorpion stings and like, liver not too good. Definitely him then. Uh, I do remember that getting a large laugh in the cinema when I saw that. Um, and then in comes M. Hello, M. Judy Dench is still there. Still got short hair. Good on you, Judy. Um, she's recovered from being kidnapped, uh, by Electra and Renard and still looking quite grumpy, um, cause she's not happy to see Bond. Um, and we sort of hear the discussion about Zhao. He's um, got caught because he blew up some Chinese people, so they decided to trade him because it f- sort of appeared that uh, Bond had given up information, dun, 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 uh, which, of course, he didn't. He learned he threw out his cyanide pe- uh, peel peer years ago, um, gets his double O status rescinded, um, no James Bond this time kicking M <laughs> and um, getting told it's not a country club. I was a bit disappointed at that. Um, then off pops M and then we get something that even I can't defend. Uh, this weird editing. Bond banging his head on the glass, remembering his happy times of being tortured in a Korean prison when he obviously somehow stopped his heart. And then we get slow motion nurses running and heart monitors on the screen and beeping. And this is just weird. I, I don't get this. I just, it even for a film that I love, I don't like this. But basically, Bond stopped his heart somehow. 
and um, zaps people with charges um, and escapes and still has time to flirt a little bit with the nurse. <laughs> Poor Bond hasn't had sex in 14 months. I'm surprised he didn't just bend her over there and have his way with her, but we'll get to that with Jinx well, very shortly. Well, probably You've done it with M if drinks have been in the room. <laughs> I'm lumping all this together because I think we can cover a whole lot here. Um, then uh, he swims, jumps. He's on a boat, we find out, jumps out, uh, goes back to the wharf. He's in Hong Kong. Um, funnily enough, still, they don't recognise him from his newspaper article for some reason, so they're not. there's no people walking around Hong Kong going, hang on a minute, you died. 40 years ago, or whatever it is. Uh, and goes grew in- a beard. <laughs> goes into a hotel. I love this scene. You look walks- like Remington still. Walks in, <laughs> sopping wet, walks up to the counter. Can I have my regular suite, please? Do you have a credit card? Not that fancy one I had in the world is not enough. Um, then we get... Um, is it Chang? Um, and... Regular- Char, I think it is. <laughs> regular suite. <Yeah. laughs> Uh, getting bloody lobster with eggs and that. Then we get uh, product placement, Bond having a shave. Oh, he's all sexy again. Knock on the door. Peaceful Fountains of Desire. Best name ever in the history of James Bond. <laughs> um, horny Bond is rubbing her up and feeling her up a little bit. Discovers that she's got a gun. Smashes the window. Throwback to From Russia with Love. Um, finds out that Chang is really, well, knew that he was Chinese intelligent, wants to get information on Zhao. We're getting here, folks. Um, goes down to the, the reception, gets handed a little box. There's a passport and information, and I love Bond's reaction of Cuba. Like, he's like, he really doesn't want to go to Cuba. And we find out Zhao is in Cuba. Cuba? <laughs> I haven't got anything in Cuba. With BB bouncing around in the background. I don't want to go to you, Cuba. We need, we need the obscure references in here, not these <laughs> obvious ones. Um, and then eventually, yeah, Zhao's getting surgery and treatment in uh, Cuba. Funnily enough, random thing here. This was originally uh, planned to have Wei Lin return at this point. Um, it was in early drafts of the script, but apparently they couldn't get Michelle Yeoh to come on and be in the film. So Chang was meant was to be... John Teddy's dream for Waylon to not <laughs> That was a reference that Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, we should be doing that in <laughs> this episode. We should be th- throwing back to all our previous episodes and references to all yeah, of them. We should be asking the double off seven. Oh, God. Anniversary. Start again. Um, which would have we'll been be cool. back with the dog. <laughs> uh Waylin here would have been cool, I think. It would have worked. Um but yeah, no, it's, I mean it's it's a good setup here, I find, uh, except for the weird editing, uh Bond getting traded back and sort of I love the whole sequence in Hong Kong, it's great. But um yeah, I've covered a lot there. That's basically the first quarter of the movie almost, I feel. Um yeah. This sequence, or a series of sequences, I don't really hate it. I mean, it's not the most exciting stuff in the world that's happening, but if the movie had been more like this, I think it would have been more tolerable and a little bit less over the top, because despite the fact that you said we have some you know, very advanced medical equipment, um, it's not as unbelievable what we're going to see later on. And one of the things that really works here is, uh, like, the, the exchange with Zhao there's a bit of tension with that because again that wasn't really spoiled for me i wasn't knowing what was on the other end whether they were going to try to shoot him and there was gonna be a chase scene and i love the guy who's just repeatedly saying the same thing over and over again it's like keep moving please keep moving please <laughs> repeatedly being annoying on the microphone that's a callback uh, to diamonds are forever with that guy on the microphone <laughs> <laughs> um 
Yeah, I mean, the the prisoner exchange is okay. Uh, I don't know why Zhao's shirtless. Was he shirtless there, or am I imagining that? I think you're imagining that, isn't he, in an orange jumpsuit? Uh, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I don't think he's in an orange jumpsuit. I think I'm imagining Pierce. Yeah, Pierce is shirtless. Somehow I got shirtless men on <laughs> the train. Why are you imagining anybody shirtless? <laughs> I don't even know what I'm thinking of here. Um, shirtless no, bed, uh, by the sound of it. <laughs> And you went off at me for liking Madonna. Just, I'm Pierce imagining Judy Dench. Pierce rocks the hobo look more than Money Penny rocks the short hair look in this movie. Harsh <laughs> but fair. <laughs> um, yeah, we. One of the things I really like here is uh, the the scenes with M. M's role is obviously more significant in this, and this is the first time I think we see what Daniel Craig M is going to be. This is cold, heartless M. You know, she's talking about how, you know, I would have rather you just been rotting and dying in that prison, basically. And I think that's a good scene. The whole thing with stopping his heart, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't really bother me that much. Although the slow-mo and the black and white, it was like they took every single bad, cheesy, overly dramatic effect they could think of and threw it into one sequence. And unfortunately, it's not going to be the end of slow motion in this movie. Um, it's definitely not the worst use of it. But, uh, you know, the rest of it, his escape is pretty good. Like you said, his flirting with the nurse and her kind of checking him out. Uh, maybe he was shirtless at this point. I don't know. <laughs> we'll get some screenshots to verify it. <laughs> well, I think Colin will be. Uh, oh, I'll just get some screenshots of the shirtless man. Well, that's the first thing he'll be doing after this. <laughs> Somebody bring on Miranda Frost quick, because my mind is very is sidetracked shirtless? right now. <laughs> Madonna has turned you into a, a shirtless man lover. Or <laughs> Madonna turned me gay. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the first time that sentence has been uttered in the history of ever. <laughs> Sounds like an episode oh, of Jerry Springer. Madonna turned me gay. That's putting it lightly, Colin. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, See, Mr. Wind to Mr. Kid reference. They're all over in this film. <laughs> this is Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, Bond's escape, uh, there's there's a big timeline mishap here, because the prisoner exchange with Zhao probably <laughs> happened only a few hours earlier. I mean, I, I highly doubt that they were just resting in communist Chinese waters for no reason. <laughs> Chances are they were traveling from North Korea to wherever they were going, and they're passing by China. So this is what, like maybe 12 hours later or something like that? And meanwhile, Zhao has already made his way to Cuba, and they already know that he's at a clinic, and they already know all of this. Um, it's just, the timeline does not match up in this movie. But the hotel stuff is great, like you said. You know, we get, I think this is our third Chang uh, in the series at this point. It's a very popular name, obviously. And, um, yeah, the, the masseuse, I'm not that kind of masseuse, uh... <laughs> The, the thing with the mirror is great. Obviously, a From Russia with Love throwback there. Uh, Pierce Brosnan had his commercial in there. I actually do like these scenes because I think this is where Pierce's swagger really works. You know, to, to watch this hobo shirtless man with glorious chest hair <laughs> walking into an upscale Whoa, Colin. Colin. communist Chinese hotel. I'll lend you a and... few of her albums if you like. <laughs> <laughs> But the fact that he just walks in there and he's completely cool and he's James Bond despite how he looks. I mean, that, that's that's a really cool image. And that's one of the things I really like about this movie. So, um, yeah, I'm all for the... It is funny, though, that we're going from... 
in 20 minutes of the movie or maybe 25 minutes tops, we visited North Korea, China, and we're about to go to Cuba. It's like they're crossing off all of the uh, communist nations on Bond's bucket list that he hasn't been to yet. Um, Jamie, if you're listening to this, you know what can go in color <laughs> stocking now. Then a few Madonna greatest hits and uh, Confessions on a, a Dance shirtless, Floor is the best. Get that great album. Shirtless Fireman Year Calendar <laughs> or something like that. Um, those two will go down a treat in his uh, Christmas stocking this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these scenes are some of the less shit scenes in the film. Uh, why do they have to troll him and pretend that they're going to kill him? Why can't they just say, all right, we're trading you, you in need North to Korea, go here? They're pricks! Well. Apparently, some of them like to surf. I don't know. They haven't know. surfed um, in a week. They're angry, all right? They've got nothing else to do. I just don't understand the, the rationale between that, because what if Bond tried to, like, do something there, and then he got shot or something by the the English people because they thought he was a North Korean or something? I don't know. Um, and I don't know. It's a pretty intense scene. James Bond is going to his death, and he says, "Get it over with." And they don't—they don't play it as intense as it should be. James Bond has just given up on life at this point. Um, Cutting for vessel. So. <laughs> um, yeah, this is some of Lee Tomahawkies or whatever he's called. Uh, his weird editing where it's like yep that's definitely him and then it does like fadeaways and it comes back and we're in the exact same spot and it's just like what is going on with the editing of this film um yeah you're right like james bond has the ability to stop his heart apparently um and like that boat looked a fair way out from the frickin' shore, and this guy spent 14 months being tortured by North Koreans. His swimming game is pretty up to scratch. <laughs> like, maybe he should have competed in Sydney because he was just going for it, swimming away. Like Bond and Thorpe. Not- Thorpe and Bond. Bond wins the goal. Well, well, do you not think when James Bond escapes, like, this is a whole, like, Navy ship or something. Those four doctors weren't the only people. Do you think... Someone might have said, well, who's that guy swimming? Wasn't him uh, on the boat? Where's him? <laughs> this guy, he's swimming away from the boat. He's quite slow. He's having trouble breathing. Uh, he could have spent 14 months in a North Korean prison. Should we stop him? Oh, nah. That's just... He's fine. Like, I d- what? No. Um... It's it's dumb, but I guess it, it it's decent. I don't like the escape, like you said, with like he stops his heart and then he shocks people. But um, it, it's okay, I guess. Um, I love if you listen to the background when he goes into the hotel. You hear people like, "My God, standards have fallen," and another guy <laughs> says, "No tie." <laughs> like, it's, 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 not the fact that he's probably not wearing underwear. It's the fact <laughs> that there's no tie. <laughs> Jeez, you're thinking of uh, underwear-less Bond there, are you, Colin? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I just love the background, people. But again, the obscure references. Where was the, what is this? Uh, huh? This is a merry-go-round. Like, you need a goldfinger background, people, and you need a like, Are you a part of our crew uh, from Octopussy? So we're missing that. Look at uh, that guy in the pajamas. That's just terrific. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
yeah, Bond just keeps showing his face in Hong Kong. I don't understand. Like, he died. <laughs> like, did you not see the paper? I know it's been 40 years, but still. Um, They're very fond of their 40-year-old papers in Hong Kong. <laughs> I just, yeah, they keep coming back here. What happened to James Bond is dead. Uh, I don't have too much to add on. That yeah, it's a nice to have a from Russia with love reference, but yeah, peaceful fountains of desire. You'd think he would have gotten with her at least. Um, and then yeah, Colin talked about the timeline. Like Zhao, it must have been on the express plane straight to Cuba. <laughs> this is <laughs> happening, like because. It's not like they would have raced to got there. Zhao would have already been in North Korea for that to, for them to know that. So I mean, in Cuba, sorry. So fun times, but yeah, these scenes are decent, I guess. Well, in fairness, we don't know how long Bomb was on the boat for, so and he could have been there for a week. They decided to stay in communist waters for a week. Yeah, well, it might reason? take a week to go from North Korea to Hong Kong. I don't know how long it takes. If you're walking. <laughs> well, it's not exactly... You've got to... Whatever, all right? Shut up. <laughs> Those countries are kind of semi Go look at topless to men. <laughs> I don't, again, I'm not big on geography, but I think they're kind of close to each other. When you were talking about... Well, they're in the, they're in the same continent. Um, when you were talking about... Um, I, I should have mentioned cutting for Christmas, not cutting for Vesper. He hasn't met Vesper yet. Um, he's still upset about Christmas. Anyway, that was a bad joke, Ben. Um, well, I was going to mention something you brought up there. <laughs> I can't remember. Mustn't have been that important. Anyway, all right. So we're off to we're off to Cuba. We the get distance all... between North Korea and Hong Kong is two three six three kilometers. That's a fair <laughs> distance. Over two thousand um, kilometers. If you travel with airplane, it takes two point six two hours. That's airplane. This is a boat. Yeah, but well, it did not take more than 12 to 24 hours. Ben, uh, it takes like, what, an hour to get from Tasmania to Melbourne, and it takes 24 hours for the boat to get there. So if you do that math... <laughs> All right, well, a 24-hour we trip, three enough. days, two days. Well, two days, okay, two days, he's in Hong Kong, and then he's a week recovering before he gets woken up by him. That's plenty of time for Zhao to pop in there and go, oh, my God, you know, Colonel Moon, you look different. You're an Englishman. Where do I get the same surgery? Sends him to Cuba. <laughs> but is there any, a, a plane that flies direct from the capital of North Korea straight to Cuba? I'm sure they would stop off in a place. <laughs> like, <laughs> when you went to London, why are we having this argument? <laughs> well, do anything fly from North Korea? Well, they have planes. People have left North Korea before. <laughs> <laughs> We're in Cuba, okay? Dun, 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 dun. We're getting great... <laughs> We're hearing great Cuban music and Bond's in a Hawaiian shirt, okay? Um... <laughs> How long did it take for him to get there? <laughs> he swam, all right? He's strong. He's swimming. Um, that's what I was going to mention. I was going to bring up um, our dear friend Lee. Do we want to talk about Lee Tamahori at this point with his shit editing moments and oh, all this oh. sort of stuff and... Um, I mean, this is a man who I think is most well regarded for Once Were Warriors, which I know my dad loves. I've actually honestly never seen it. I mean, I think New Zealand treat that like it's the best thing ever. Um, I mean, this is New Zealand, yeah. a country that has sheep. Ooh. Um, but 
Yeah, he's just like I do. Action. Lo- I <laughs> what action? Take six. Action. <laughs> this is a man who what four or five years later gets pulled over for dressing as a woman and trying to perform a sex act on an undercover undercover cop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, Madonna turned him gay too. <laughs> Uh, well, and, well, Pierce, Pierce Brosnan ended up being in a musical a few years later. Turned him gay too. Uh, <laughs> um, I think you just offended a lot of the uh, straight people who appear in musicals. <laughs> what, both of them? Um, Russell Crowe? I, I just want to Hugh see... Uh, uh, All the Australians turn gay after this too. <laughs> we need Madonna in the next X-Men, X-Men, X-Men film where her power is that she turns people gay. And What's wrong with turning around. people gay? I'd gladly get turned gay. I see nothing wrong with that. That's well, I didn't say there was anything wrong with it. I said that's her power. I wish I was gay sometimes, so I would happily have that. <laughs> so. Well, you've got Madonna in concert coming up in just a few short months. <laughs> I'm going to hang out with my people, all right? Um, anyway... <laughs> Lee is... Oh, I mean, he, he directed one of the Triple X movies after this, didn't he? And, um, well, they only had one Triple X movie after this. So. Well, big step up there from Lee. I mean, what do they think? They think like, oh, a New Zealand actor, a New Zealand director did a good one. Let's do another one with a New Zealand director. Um, yeah, I just... This is one of the things... All thing- the directors in the world. India has so many directors <laughs> who have been willing to do this. <laughs> What was what was my man name? Red Red Hashem Tiwari would have directed this film. <laughs> um, but like, look, I, I I again, I love this film, but just the editing annoys me. Like, like the special effects are ridiculous in most parts of this film, but just I think the I think the editing annoys me more than the special effects. The slow fades to black is ridiculous. The slow motion parts as well. Like later, oh god, it's ridiculous. And the fast zooms. One thing I will say though, we we talked a bit about Brosnan and performances, and I think this is a, an underrated Brosnan performance because. He's, I mean, he's come out on the record and said that this was his least favourite Bond film. And if you actually watch the Everything or Nothing one, I love his reactions when he's actually going over. He's like, oh, there was an invisible car. And he's like cracking up laughing. Like, you know, but like Brosnan, I feel in parts of this film, is still having fun. Like this isn't a Sean Connery phoning it in performance just because he's there because he has to do it. Brosnan's still... I don't think he's bad, but I don't think it's underrated. I think it's hands down his worst performance. As well. oh, I would disagree with that. I think that given that kind of he's got... Well, what's worse? Well, I think probably Tomorrow Never Dies. He's still a good performance, but it's his just most what? standard film that he does. I think this one he's got to play up to the fact that he's been a captive and, he, you know, he's got to play up to that <laughs> bit. And then... <laughs> For that big five-minute sequence. Yeah. He's For got... the first five minutes, this was Pierce Brosnan in his prime. <laughs> I just feel that... He played is... a prisoner. <laughs> I would say this would be his third best performance as James Bond. And I think that... You know, given that this film is often regarded as a pile of shit, I think that people don't necessarily... That's give, putting it mildly, Ben. ...give him props for his performance. But um, anyway, I think we can get Lee Tamahori fucking wanker out of the way as well as... Um, well, while about- we're talking about Brosnan, we should mention he's, his age is starting to catch up. It's not like it, it takes away from the film, but if he kept going with Bond, I think we would be talking about Grandpa Pierce as well. Uh, I think he had at least one or two more in him. I would say I could see him. I mean, I don't think we can ever discount anybody. I mean, he was, what, 47 in this film? It's the same age as Craig at the moment. So, 
Um, well, Craig's starting to get on a bit too. Yeah, well, Craig shaves his chest. Oh, it makes him look younger. Ooh. But, um, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> I love how only a few, few episodes ago you were going off at me for talking about Craig being sexy topless and now it's all under Colin. Well, well in fairness, you just brought up Craig's uh, sexy hairless chest. So. Anyway, yeah. Lee, Lee Tamagotchi. Um <laughs> Colin, did you did you feed him? Did you clean his poo up when you had one back in the late nineties? Uh, no, but I mean, it is interesting. You mentioned like once we're warriors. That's even here. That's a fairly well known movie, and he had a couple other ones: Mulholland Falls, The Edge. He did good movies prior to this. Um, so I honestly do not know whether we should be blaming him for the whole thing, or maybe Michael Wilson was just in there. It's yeah, it's kind of messed up. I think we probably should. Okay. We'll just blame everybody. Nobody else wants you to said we needed to clean up his shit. Well, this <laughs> shit has stained for a very long 15 years or however long it's been. All right. Well, we'll talk about it throughout the film anyway. Okay. Um, so, yes, we're in Cuba. Bond in Hawaiian shirt. He's off to a factory to get some Delicteros. Is that how you say it? Delicteros. Um, I love the fact that when he's walking through this factory, there's like a random man on a microphone reading a newspaper to the factory workers. Like, is that a Cuban thing? Like, oh, everybody, don't read the newspaper on your break because you don't get one, so I'll read it to you while you're working. Um, In recent news, Commander James Bond died today. (laughs) And that's when Garfield ate the lasagna. (laughs) Star sign, Pisces. Um... (laughs) I love this. <laughs> is it Raul? Is that his name? I love this guy who's there, and he's yeah. um, you know, they've got this and that. The guy at reception, he just points a gun at him randomly, and I love um, Bond's reaction. Just as a facial expression, that he double takes on him. Still better than a double take pigeon. Um, going through his passport, I love the fact that he's like looking at his passport, and he basically says Mister, and it's like Bond. It's like you've got his passport in your hand. His name's in the passport. Look at it. Like, why are you even asking what his name is? Um, but we're kind of uh, learning here. Bond's trying to find information about Zhao, terrorist. Uh, Raul loves his country. Good for him. We're in his office. Um, Bond's uh, finding a little bit more information about. The clinic, which is on a lovely little island. Uh, Bond, in the meantime, takes a field guide to uh, West Indian birds. I uh, wonder what that's in reference to. Um, borrows binoculars and a gun. Wants a fast car. And uh, off he goes. He's driving. Uh, he goes to a fancy little bar. We meet a South African asshole. Uh, I've just written his South African asshole. Um, and then from this point on, uh, he's at the bar. He's having a mojito, um, and we see him on his binoculars, and I don't know what's going to be in the binoculars. Only a beautiful woman in an orange bikini emerging from the water, then emerging from the water again with a knife attached to her bikini. It's Jinx, everybody's favourite. Yay, it's Halle Berry. Um, and basically we have this little interaction. This is, this is Bond picking up a chick at a bar. Like, this is... I actually really enjoy this interaction. Ah, Ben, you're a fucking idiot. This is so stupid. I love it because this is just like Bond heading out to a bar one night and just picking up. He hasn't been laid in 14 months. So he wants to just root the shit out of Halle Berry. And basically a few seconds later, we see him rooting the shit out of Halle Berry because it's the first time we get a James Bond sex scene, which is interrupted halfway through by Halle Berry with a knife cutting a piece of fruit, Um, (laughs) which is kind of weird. But yes, we're in Cuba. 
We've got Dalekteros, and we've got Halle Berry getting the shit pounded out of her in sex. <laughs> oh, why did you leave off on that moment? Um, let's start. Cuba, uh, again, good location. Uh, you mentioned Raul. Raul is a great character that is so underutilized in this. Um, I actually do really like the supporting cast. And uh, uh, no, I don't know if there's any topless men picks of Raul out there. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but no, uh, that was actually in reference to anything you were talking about. It was more so what you typed in the book, but whatever. Um, we can look that up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I knew it would come up eventually. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I remember when this movie came out, you know, one of the first things I was looking into on message boards, back when message boards were big, uh, was you know, why? whether this guy was... Hello to all our friends from the James Bond yeah, that's forum. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which aren't any big anymore. <laughs> Glad you're with us. The, the only place uh, people listen to But I was to looking us. up on all these message boards. <laughs> I was looking up all those message boards about this guy, and there was a lot of people saying, like, you know, he's really good. They should have used him more in the movie, and apparently he's a very big star in Mexico, I think it is, this actor. And, uh, which makes it, you know, all the more confusing they didn't use him more, because... From his very first introduction here to his very second and final scene he has, I'm feeling this is this should have been Karim Bay Part 2. Uh, this could have been an ally for the entire movie, or at least for the entire Cuba sequence. Have him later on visit the clinic with Bond. Um, keep him around a little bit longer. to take Save Jinx for later, much, much later, and use her much, much less if you have to. But um, I just... I. I don't know why they don't use him more. He's so good in these scenes. And uh, um, I, I would have loved to. I like this idea that, you know, we always see Bond. He has his codes that he uses, you know, Muffy and everything with Jack Wade. And uh, uh, I can't remember what the one was the, with uh, Ferrara and For Your Eyes Only. But the fact that he has this contact that, you know, maybe he doesn't know him personally. I but that love you. <laughs> he just goes up to Raul. I love you. And he's like. Excuse me? <laughs> well, they actually should have used a, a callback if they were going to use references. Yeah, that, like there's lots of lines you could have used there. Um, this is a lot more subtle, which is one of the reasons I actually dislike this. Uh, I'm not, I don't dislike the scene, but I feel like they could have done a lot more here. Because you know, the idea is not really sold that well, that there are you know some codes you can use. And if you're in Cuba, there's one guy you can go to. But the fact that he immediately says, I love my country, I'm never going to betray my country, you get the impression like he's there to help if he can, but he's 100% on the communist, China, or communist Cuba side. So the idea of his character just isn't explored enough for me. Uh, I, I love the car that they give it. I'm not a big car guy, but uh, I, I think the car looks really cool. They give him here, especially when he asks for a fast car, and Raul just kind of gives this laugh, like, "Huh, I've got one for you." And um, Jinx, oh, 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 this is like Madonna all over again. What am I supposed to say? I'll save so many arguments for later on, but the fact that they give a honey rider introduction to one of the worst bond girls ever is such an insult and yeah i i can't really I, I wish i could comment i know halle berry is considered to be like the sexiest woman on the planet which i do not understand in the least um i don't think there's anything physically that's wrong with her that bothers me but sometimes a personality can just rub you the wrong way where it doesn't matter how a person looks you just you can't stand them and that's the way that Halle Berry is for me. And I think that she's such an overactor in this movie. Is this because she's she... a woman, Colin? 
<laughs> it's because she's one that speaks, let's be honest. <laughs> oh. Call callback. Not call me back. making a sexist comment. Call back to Octopussy. <laughs> uh, but I'll give you a perfect example. The scene she has with Bond could have been a really good scene. The line about the, um, what was the exact word? Ornithologist. That's a mouthful. Where she goes, ornithologist. If that line was delivered right, she just would have gone ornithologist. Maybe made a very subtle glimpse down and goes, there's a mouthful. But she oversells it so much that it's not funny. It's just kind of like, well, you just changed the meaning. It's not even, this is a joke anymore or it has a double meaning. It, she looks down. She's like, wow, now there's a mouthful. Like She oversells this so bad, it actually bothers me. And she does this through the entire movie. Every time she has a line... She just ruins it. Uh, any other actress could have been better in this role. And, and again, never give her the Honey Rider introduction. Like, never in a million years is she even in Honey Rider's league here. Um, uh, w- w- the scene with her having sex with Bond, like, again, like the gun barrel, they had this idea that they wanted to pay tribute to all the past movies, but take it one step further. And they just go one step too far. Nobody, I think, really wants to see bond getting it on with anybody uh and (laughs) and (laughs) i put it i put it down as an unintentional reference to license to kill of bond getting with the bong girl way too earlier than it makes sense yeah well (laughs) there's a lot of comparisons here again like we're gonna get into the whole thing about the bond equal later on that bothers me especially in this movie but the fact that we see them having sex is just kind of gross and uh, doesn't she have the line about, uh, I don't know if it's here or later on, where she says, uh, I'm so good, I'm bad? Or what? Ben, you probably know the line. What is that? Um, she says that at the end of the movie. Uh, she says, dialogue. who says I'm good when she pulls the knife out? That's what she says. Yeah. Okay. So later on. But, I mean, just everything. I, I When she's on the screen, I actually get uptight and kind of nauseous it just she's so bad in this i mean everything is wrong and i'll have lots more arguments to come i get it. up and i also wish she would rub me the wrong way but anyway Noah. um yeah this these scenes are okay i'm assuming you mentioned bird watching by james yes. bond i mentioned the uh, field guide to the west yes. indies but yes i he- i heard that but my earphones fell out um this is one, another one of my obscure, maybe it's a reference, Bond with the revolver. I wrote down live and let die, maybe. I don't know. Um, I can't think of any other time he had a revolver. So There's a Madonna song called perhaps. Revolver. Yeah, well. I <laughs> it's a reference to a Madonna um, album. Fortress on the Island. I thought maybe that was an Octopussy reference. Like it wasn't a fortress. Well, it, they made it look like it was kind of a fortress on an island out from a main island. So, Octopussy? Yes? Uh, no. Not on my list, no. but anyway. Yeah, but you're... We'll take it. I'm, I'm happy. I'm it's hope... fine. Yes, go with it. I keep giving out these references. And could just be World is Not Enough. Maiden's like... Tower as well. Island. Well, maybe. More, more yeah. better reference than uh, the World is Not Enough sprinkler one they've got on the James Bond wiki. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, Jinx doing a honey rider, get fucked. <laughs> um, it's just an insult to that scene. Um, it looks ridiculous. She looks like she's 
doing some sort of cosplay thing or something and trying to be like Honey Rider. Um, yeah, Doctor No was the first James Bond film. Doesn't mean you have to repeat the exact scene and just make it a hundred times worse. And where the hell is underneath the mango tree? <laughs> Madonna was going to sing if it. If you're going to but... do this, yes, have Madonna come and sing underneath the mango tree. <laughs> come on. Um, did you mention the From Russia With Love reference here? Um, yes, that was the bit we mentioned. <laughs> Jacinta Johnson, my friends call me Jinx. My friends call me James Bond. Yeah, we did mention that. You obviously had your earphones, just like all the listeners fell out at that point. <laughs> no, we didn't mention it, Noah. Please continue. <laughs> Obvious reference to Tanya and that famous scene that they always use for the screen testing of James Bond. Um, yeah, that's awkward, watching Bond and Jinx getting it on. It's just like... Ugh. Um... Just stick with the mojitos. Um, the clinic. I thought maybe a Thunderball we, we, reference. We, we haven't gotten that sneaky far. Around. Um, we stopped at the sex scene. Oh, <laughs> you can keep going if you're that excited uh, to talk about it. I mean, by all means. Right. Oh, I'd just say, yeah, the Bond and Jinx getting it on is just weird and creepy and they should have just stuck to the mojitos. Um, and as I said, it's kind of an unintentional reference to License to Kill where they just shouldn't have included this until the end of the film. But, yeah, I, I don't mind the From Russia With Love reference, but that Doctor No thing is just embarrassing. It, it It's cringeworthy. Um, and it's just... I, I don't find Halle Berry that attractive, but she's pretty hot in this film, but... She just looks embarrassing during that scene. It's so cringeworthy. I'm baffled that you guys are saying this. Like, this in the marketing and everything of this film, this was, again, the image that it was always used. And I think if there's one scene in the history of James Bond that you are going to replicate to the T of how it was in the first film, it was always going to be the honey rider emerging from the water. And I, I, I feel, I don't think that they're trying to like say like this is better or anything. It's just the way they do the homage to it. It's just that this is how they did it. And I mean, at the time there, there really was no bigger actress than Halle Berry. I mean, she went into this basically, um, she won her Oscar uh, whilst this was filming. Um, I believe it is the first Bond film where the main Bond girl uh, is an Oscar winner. And actually, funnily enough, since Rosamund Pike has been uh, nominated in the last year or so, uh, this is now the only James Bond film that both the Bond girls are actually Academy Award nominated, and of course, in the case of Halle Berry, an Academy Award winner. Anyway, but uh, this whole sequence, like, I can see kind of your argument where it's sort of like licensed because they get to get together so early. But I guess it's it's you can't really put the argument out there that look if you didn't know Halle Berry was going to be in the film because she's billed almost co-billing as Brosnan, so you know she's going to play a key part of this film. But if you kind of ignore that aspect, this is just Bond meeting up with a random chick at the bar, as I said. Like it's one thing that the thing that I really like about Jinx, and I guess I put it out there like this, is that. I mean, yeah, I can kind of see that they're trying to put her out there as a Bond villain, but the way I see this, this is two people who work basically in the same industry who just happen to meet up by circumstance and then they end up working together. It's just, it just works. I just like how it works together. Like, it's not kind of 
It doesn't, though. But That's I think it thing. does. I think it just works so good that these two people on the missions that just happen to be... I mean, this would happen in spy bits in real life. Like, oh, I'm with MI6, you're with the NSA. Oh, we're both after the same people. Oh, okay, let's eventually put our things together as we discover along the way. And it kind of works... And have sex. Yeah, well, they get horny. Bond hasn't fucked in 14 months, so he's got to put his doodle in something. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, she's there. They're both up for it. Why not? And it's it's. I like the way kind of like you see Bond, and we'll get to that soon, sort of keep discovering her like in all these situations. Like, oh, why are you in the clinic? Oh, you're in Iceland as well. And they're sort of gradually discovering who each of them are. And then What, the exact same thing they did with Wayland? Well, sort of, yes. But I think it's more Wayland gets discovered a little bit more earlier than Jinx. But anyway, um, I'd like it. It's in, in the, the thing that I will say too is that this is what I was going to mention with uh, the song is that for the type of film this is, could you imagine any other type of song being used? I'm not just saying necessarily Madonna. How? Oh, yeah. Would a ballad work with Die Another Day based on the type of film we're watching? No, of course not. It's it's a type of song that you have with this film. And I, well, and I think Jinx and Halle Berry, the way she acts, and I definitely feel she, like as Colin was saying before, some of her line delivery is a little bit, you know, OTT. But I just think in the type of film that this is, she plays it fine. Like, she plays it perfectly for this type of film. Well, whatever writing's on the wall is, whatever song you would call that... It's a ballad. That doesn't fit with that I think film. it does when you watch it more than once. <laughs> no, you think it fits with the title sequence, but the film... I though, think it does. I think just in terms I, of the type of it's film... It's ridiculous. So many songs could be used for this film. That's dumb. That's the dumb. But thing I, I to just say. you can't. You, can you tell me you can imagine a ballad working with Die Another Day? Well, maybe. I think th- maybe a big grandiose orchestra ballad. I don't. I don't see it. I, I honestly think this is a type of film that needs a really up tempo, energetic song as a credits. Well. A die another day. <laughs> day. Live and let die. Well, have yeah, like a that, live and let die style song would work. And that's kind of an up-tempo Bond song. But that's what I'm just trying to say with it. And, yeah, again, I just, reiterating it, I think Halle Berry works for this film. She wouldn't work in a World Is Not Enough. She wouldn't work in a, you know, a Skyfall. But she would work in this. This is where I think she works. And any other Bond film, I she doesn't work in a Bond film. But why does she work because in this film? Because it's campy, it's over the not... top, it's cartoonish, and she's playing up to that. Well, that's a lot of Yeah, I know things. that. So Halle Berry would work in Moonraker. She would work in Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> um, no. Halle Berry didn't work in four X-Men movies. What means she works why here? Why are you so anti-Halle Berry? <laughs> Leave her alone! <laughs> she's a terrible actress. She has an Oscar! She has a Razzie! <laughs> <laughs> Which she accepted in person. And I'm sure she's been nominated for more Razzies than Oscars. She accepted in person, hence the type of woman she is. And it, it's not just Halle Berry we're getting into. It's Jinx as well. Jinx is a horrible no. character. No, no, no. She's better than Bond, which is ridiculous. And we've talked about this in the past. And this is not a thing about gender or anything like that. In a James Bond film... James Bond is number one. But I, 
it doesn't matter. James Bond movie. Yeah, it doesn't matter about gender. It could be a okay, male or female. I see that. No one I is above James Bond. I see Bond. that point, but let me bring that point up in our next episode when we talk about Casino Royale. James Bond's first mission. Which is still your argument is that no one's better than James Bond, even on his first mission. I think this is your 20th. Well, that was not my but argument. But you just said in any James Bond film, no one can be better than him. my argument. <laughs> As Colin just said, and Q says, you're 20th, I believe. So? <laughs> you're just making, adding things that I didn't say. That That's a reboot, a completely different yeah, thing. But... Anyway. No, yeah, but. Shall we move on with the plot? We're, uh, we're going to the clinic. Plot? <laughs> we're going to the clinic. Bond's woken up. He's been stood up already. Um, Jinx is off on the boat. She's going to the island. Um, we get a lovely little sequence where Bond's got to get on there, so he brings a wheelchair to prick South African guy, which I do love the little, what the hell do you want? I don't need a wheelchair. No, now you do. And then this, like, topless woman. It's a woman, Colin, sadly, not a man. Um, he's just like, buenos dias. And she's just like, buenos dias. Um, goes to the island, gets on the boat, no problems with the document, um, throws a guy in a wheelchair, um, smashes him into a wall to sneak into it, um, breaks into this area where he sees a camera pointing at a wall, so of course that must mean there's a secret button, which he goes through, uh, he goes through the fun house, obvious man with the golden gun reference, of course, meanwhile we see Jinx, uh, seeing sleazy doctor talking about treatment, um, who ends up killing him anyway. Bond finds Zhao with the freaky deaky mask. Um, we get the line, which is constantly used in all of the trailers when he squeezes the little IV and he says, got your attention. Uh, we get this fight, more slow motion. Um, off goes a fire, the building starts burning down. Uh, Jinx has killed the creepy doctors, sets a bomb off, and she's escaping. She's found Zhao. I fucking love the scene when she's running up the uh, cliff, shooting at uh, the helicopter as it's flying off, and you've got Bond also doing the same. Then Jinx is at the top, and this is another one of the bits that even I can't defend. We've got horrible green screen in the background, and she loops back and dives off a cliff, which she probably should have died, really. Um, it's quite a high cliff we could only hope gets on a boat waves my why the hell are those guards who are shooting at jinx who are you know staring at a giant knockers um don't realize that there's also a random british dude also watching why aren't they going after bond like bond's there bond was shooting at the helicopter as well um meantime in the little fight bond ripped off a little necklace on zao zao got away in the helicopter by the way uh, and brings it back to Raul, um, who I agree, Colin, when you said that he could have made a really good ally if he was in it for longer. He kind of had that charisma that really would have worked well as a, a long-standing ally. Um, we're looking at the diamonds. Uh, they've got GG on them. Um, and, of course, we first hear the name of Gustav Graves, who has just recently discovered diamonds in Iceland. Uh, funnily enough, they also are identical to uh, African conflict diamonds, which, of course, right goes back to the beginning of the film when we discovered that. And um, we also get a little scene uh, of uh, the absolutely stunningly beautiful, gorgeous Samantha Bond as Money Penny, who not, looks nothing like any African animals or anything like that. She's gorgeous. Leave her alone. 
uh, who's listening in to uh, M getting ripped a new one by Falco, who we haven't mentioned. Michael Madsden in a James Bond film, which I like. I like Michael Madsden. He's a good actor and uh, kind of plays up to his character well. Um, but I might leave it there because I think the next bit deserves to be talked about separately. But uh, yes, everything that I just discussed, I like it. Okay, so yeah, I like the whole breaking into the clinic stuff. Um, it is really funny. There's just obviously different, you go to different countries and, you know, people obviously have different reactions. And I don't know if this would be a Cuba thing, but Bond breaks into a room by punching a man in the face and the girl who's almost naked on the bed goes just, hola, like, just, <laughs> hi, how you doing? And the same thing happens when he gets in the clinic later and he just walks into the room of this entire family with a guy who looks like he's dying and they just are kind of nodding like hey how's it going to him like it's well, just a normal yes. thing people break people break into each other's houses in cuba b and e's are very popular there bond um uh, first of all let's let's talk about i know i'm gonna sound gayer if i say this but <laughs> here's Bros- you're already Bros- down <laughs> that rabbit hole pretty far Colin. just go for it <laughs> Pierce Brosnan's wardrobe is fantastic in this movie. I love that he's wearing like this. It's fantastic. I think it's pronounced this... fantabulous, actually. Yes, it's fantabulous. <laughs> uh, Darling. This, this is going to sound so bad, but the fact that his shirt's like unbuttoned halfway looks really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Please bring on Miranda Frost. I'm very concerned right now. My marriage is on the rocks. Thanks. Colin, I'm just, I'm just putting those Madonna albums in a, a bag. They'll be uh, in the post tomorrow. And and let's just say, this is the scene I was thinking of earlier. Zhao shirtless. He's shirtless for an entire action scene. Um, you always talk about are. how your wife's going to leave you for Daniel Craig. I think it's a race to Daniel Craig at this point. Halle <laughs> <laughs> um, Berry running up that hill is Jamie and your Bond chasing after the helicopter. Daniel Craig's in that <laughs> helicopter. <laughs> We love you! I'm re edit that with bobbing heads over the faces of those characters with Colin and Jake. Um, I'm going to move on before I get into more trouble here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like the the little throwback to Scaramanga's fun house there, which I think there's a lot of references that even watching it the first time you miss, especially in the Q Lab, a lot of the little things where it takes multiple views. But this one was so obvious to me when I saw it, and I loved it. And still, every time I see it, I, I, I almost get giddy because I'm like, oh, it looks like Scaramanga's fun house, which... I don't understand why in this clinic you have to walk through a secret door with all these mirrors and, you know, weird images to get to the main doctor's office. I'm going to have a little bit more criticism here for Jinx. Um, And not Halle Berry, but the way the character's written. She's in there. Her entire purpose is simply to kill this doctor and look up the files or whatever on Zhao. She's already in the office that's hidden in the back. It's through a fun house. There's no way anybody's going to hear or see anything. Why does she wait to go through the interview process, wait to write the man a check, and listen to him talk about his business before shooting him? If her entire purpose is just to kill the guy anyways, why is she not just shooting him in the head the second she gets in the room? Uh, it, it just it really bothered me watching it this time. It's just, it seems like a complete waste of time knowing the outcome. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, again, we're looking at the timeline of this. Zhao's already halfway through his treatments. We're hearing about how painful and uh, this must be complex, which you talked about how Bond, you know, going into space. I can't remember if it was on air or off air about how 
James Bond, yeah, off air, you were mentioning, you know, no training in Moonraker can go up into space. Well, he wasn't doing the flying in that. He was just sitting in a chair. We are 13 years in, and I'm pretty sure gene therapy is still not a thing. And it's certainly not a thing that based on this timeline, you could accomplish in three days to have Zhao halfway through it. So this gene therapy thing, this is where the movie starts getting so dated now because it was almost forgivable for 10 years. We see a lot of stuff in Bond movies. There's stuff where Quantum Solace Skyfall, you're looking at and you're like, wow, I mean, technology like that might exist. I don't know. And 10 years later, maybe it does exist. Gene therapy is not a thing. It's not even close to a thing. This is so ridiculous. Uh, I like the whole shootout in the clinic, though. I like Bond, like he said, when he squeezes the IV bag. Like There are moments where Pierce Brosnan is really on his game here. And uh, you mentioned the, the good line that he had there, you know, got your attention. Uh, Halle Berry, again, just shooting up the entire clinic. I mean, Bond gets reprimanded. You know, I, I think they even mention it later on, like where, where she kind of blew up the entire clinic. But let's talk about Michael Madsen really quickly. I'm kind of surprised you like this because from all the reactions I've seen, this is something where Americans are like, oh, yeah, it's OK because he's Michael Madsen. But I don't know if anybody outside of Americans want to see the Americans bossing around Judy Dench. And the fact that he spends this entire movie basically being holier than thou and being the man in charge as if holier than thou well he's it's like m is subservient to michael madsen it's just kind of annoying because (laughs) it was a joke i said holier than thou oh okay yeah (laughs) now i get it (laughs) see that's how you save a bad joke ben just explain it about five minutes later (laughs) but um going there well, apparently Ben's still stuck in the young, dumb days. So yeah, <laughs> Last time I tried to explain a joke, talking about it being from another movie, you laughed at me for doing that too. Oh, people didn't realise it was from that film. Anyway. I have no idea what you're talking about. Hashtag, yeah, neither do I. everyone hates Ben. <laughs> well, that's they depressing. will after this episode. <laughs> on the wall. I don't want to live. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the Michael Madsen thing is kind of annoying because you were mentioning, and I'll, I'll say it even again later on, that having an equal to Bond, male, female, whatever it is, takes away from Bond's importance in the 20th movie. We're at the point where M is like the big boss. She, This is the biggest M has ever been. And M is just, you know, terrified, apparently, of this American NSA supervisor it, it it really hurts the movie. This is supposed to be a British spy movie. It's not supposed to be the Americans are in charge of the world. Uh, so, yeah, screw Michael Madsen. Get him out of this movie. I don't mind him in anything else, but he is so bad in this movie. And, yeah, you mentioned the whole backflip off it, and there's something that Halle Berry does, and I'm probably nitpicking here, but I noticed no. it several times throughout the movie where... <laughs> Every time she thinks she's done something clever in this movie, she did it when she was coming out of the water. Uh, she does it over and over again in this movie. There's like a, this look where Halle Berry has her mouth gaping wide open, and she does it when she's on the boat waving goodbye, and it just bugs me because it's like, it's like that duh look that you know, we, we all know there's somebody that we, we're familiar with that this could be associated with. It's like the dumb Halle Berry look. Like, her mouth gaping <laughs> wide Are open. you insinuating one person on this podcast, Paul? 
Kristen. <laughs> yeah, somebody on this podcast. Somebody we all know by the name of Ben Waterworth. <laughs> but it's the duh, I'm Halle Berry looking. I don't know why every time she thinks she does something clever, she's got her mouth gaping wide open. It's just It just looks ridiculous. Uh, good moments in this movie ruined by Halle Berry again. Um, I think we've established through this that Colin hates Americans, uh, <laughs> forums, and women. Um, <laughs> well, that's not fair. He doesn't hate women. He just prefers temporarily. Men. In, yeah, temporarily in this movie until we get one good one. Yeah, <laughs> one good one. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't fair. He doesn't hate women, um, but he loves men. Topless uh, <laughs> men. <laughs> yeah, specifically the ones with tops. Eh, take it or leave it. Um, one thing, not really related to this scene as a whole, but one thing I thought: if they want to do callbacks, why don't they make the soundtrack bringing back uh, themes from the past? Like that would have been cool, I think, because. There are several moments when Honor Majesty's Secret Service would have worked perfectly in this film, like the theme for that. And then I was thinking when they're in the hut at the end, that would be the perfect time for the You Only Live Twice. We do kind of get that later in the movie. There are a few moments like that, especially with the Only Live Twice one. Really? I wasn't really paying that much attention (laughs) then. Because something that I wish happened apparently happened. Can Um, you see the bath scene? But on bush because that happened uh, in that movie. I, I Give it re- five minutes, Ben. It'll it'll click. I had to recall two hours of this film, thinking of when there was a bath scene, but I got it. It was a reference. To it was time. a joke, Noah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> See, it didn't work, Colin. Get stuff. <laughs> Nothing will save him. It only works with Noah. How do I live? <laughs> yeah. So I think that would be cool. if a lot of the used other themes like let's bring in the live and let die theme or something here. That would be cool. Um, but not the die another day theme. Uh, do they use the die another day theme yes. in the film? All right. They do. I must've tuned that out. Um, yeah, I thought the clinic, maybe a Thunderball reference him sneaking around a clinic. No. Yes. Maybe there's no weird man in like little box things with his arms. <laughs> I'll tell Death by peace. <laughs> yeah. Well, they didn't have My From Russia With Love obvious one on your list, so I'm just going to say this is a Thunderball reference. Um, and then also a Doctor No reference in there uh, where Jinxes had Jinx, Jinxes? Where Jinx had a check from the Cayman Islands, which uh, was where Quarrel is from in Doctor <laughs> No. You could tell that that is pretty much all I was looking out for in this film was just references, not actually looking at the plot. Or a burning man in the background. Ah! Yeah, because I've just been looking out for the little references in the film. Um, yeah, they they talk up this gene therapy thing. Like, boo-hoo, Gustav Graves. Go back to 1971. Charles Gray, he could turn himself from looking... <laughs> like a bold Telly Savalas to turning himself into Henderson, like and later a woman. Yes, <laughs> which Colin didn't like though at that period. Uh, <laughs> Lee Tamahori loved it though. <laughs> yeah, that's his inspiration. His inspiration. Um, the cat dragged in. <laughs> yeah, it's just like this has happened in Bond with Blofeld. If you really want to get into it, but something to do with mud or something again, diamonds are forever. 
this film is Diamonds Are Forever. Um, yeah, it is dumb. Like, yeah, going to space is dumb, but this is dumb too. Like, that we're supposed to believe that this is the same guy. Um, why couldn't have they just had a North Korean villain? Like, go for it. Let's have an Asian villain. We haven't had one of them in a while, if ever since Doctor No. I'm sure I'm missing someone, but go for it. Or have an English knob like we have with Gustav Graves. Have one or the other. Why do you have to have this dumb plot? Like, it takes away from the film when still the film wouldn't be great, but at least that would tick this out of the horrible bucket. Um, the fight with Zhao is Again, the bad slow-mo kicking in. It's just don't get it. And then the jinx fall off the side. Of the, yeah, that's just dumb. And yeah, uh, I couldn't put a word on it, but smug jinx look is a good way of talking about what you were talking about, Colin, because I definitely picked up on that too. Her weird smirk, which is just like, just stop, jinx. Like, stop, uh, stop, please. Uh, it's just, oh, uh, She's so off-putting as a character. And part of that comes from the actor and part of it comes from the character. But, yeah, um, I think you're right, Colin. I think this is the turning point for the film. Up to here, it's been okay. But now, if you thought we were being harsh, well, yeah. I, I always pinpoint London Calling as the down down point for this film. But anyway... What absolutely amazes me with the criticisms from you two in this film, and I think you summed it up perfectly there, Noah, where you said in Diamonds Are Forever, he changes his appearance by going in mud. And yet, for some reason, we're saying that this is a bad thing that he's got gene therapy, trying to at least explain how it happens. Well, did we say it was good in Diamonds Are Forever? No, but I'm just pointing it out. And also the fact that you're questioning a lot of this plot... I mean, goodness me, let's just have a gondola that randomly turns into a hovercraft with a double tank pigeon! Um, but that's not plot, <laughs> that's just a random scene in a film. And just going back to what Colin said about, you know, yeah, okay, Bond in Moonraker was just on a space shuttle. I'm just going to pop into NASA and go, hi guys, can I just sit on a space shuttle next time around? I don't need any training, just put me up in space, I'm fine, well, I, I know what I'm just going to go into the walk-in clinic and say, could you make me Gustav Graves, how about that? <laughs> Which, in, in From Russia With Love, was completely normal to have a random mask on his face that turned him into... Oh. Anyway. Masked, they've remapped the man's GNA, DNA, apparently. <laughs> like, how is this possible? We then get to... And just quickly, also on, on Falco, I kind of see your point. But, I mean, I think kind of... Isn't that the point of his character? To portray him as an asshole American who thinks he's policing the world and at the end of the day it's the British who save the day, sort of? Why not have no. Felix? This is the 40th anniversary. I'll get over Felix. He's got no legs. He can't walk. He's not there. Well, Leave actually, in the next jinx. film, he, he, he did. And, he, and, he's, and he's with the DEA, not the NSA. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, we, we're now on a plane. Bond, luckily, he asked for it shaken. I love that line. He gets a martini. Uh, random stats, random fact, I should say. Not a stat, really. Uh, Roger Moore's daughter. Is one of the flight attendants in that scene. I didn't know if you knew Bridget that. Moore, I think her name is. Yes. Um, and then, <laughs> look, I don't care what you two say. London Calling is awesome. It's just the same as <gasps> in A View to a Kill with the Beach Boys. It's awesome. It's a, just a throw out from it, but it, it works. I love it. 
Uh, we see Graves, well, we don't know it's Graves yet, but we see a man jumping from another plane with the uh, Union Jack flag. I wonder what that's a reference to. Um, and we see a whole bunch of people near Buckingham Palace, a lot of press waiting around, looking impatient. Uh, we see Colin's favourite non-male in this film uh, waiting there. <laughs> Um, and then we, sorry, I've been distracted by Colin's picture. Um, <laughs> he's put a topless picture of Pierce Brosnan with a beard on for those at home wondering what I'm laughing at. Um, and Graves, we meet him for the first time, lands, is walking around. Um, I always thought, like, why doesn't, like, the guards of Buckingham Palace shoot him down? Is it just okay for random people to parachute above, like, the most secure woman in all of Britain? Clearly, because he's getting knighted, I guess. Um, he's just talking a whole lot with one-liners and shit and, um, not sleeping and getting interviewed and trying out for fencing and the whole time Bond is part of the world press, just, uh, standing there waiting for it. I want to see the deleted scene of Graves actually getting knighted. Um, oh, here you go, I'm going to knight you. Oh, I don't even know where I'm going with that. Um, and then at 53 minutes... Nice in... Queen impersonation. Thank that you. That was a good one. It was very close to Freddie I felt Mercury. like I was in the presence of the Queen. 53 minutes. I thought he was minutes. doing a Madonna impression. <laughs> 53 minutes in to Die Another Day. Speaking of the Queen you just mentioned, we see her. We've already heard a voice in this film, so why not get to see... The Queen herself. Funnily enough, here she is. It's Verity, a.k.a. Golden Raspberry winning actress from this film. <sighs> Madonna. Um, I see you handle your weapon well. I have been known to keep my tip up. I think I've come undone. Um, and then we get a whole little uh, interaction. We hear about the finest blade in the club. No, it's not Graves. It's Miranda Frost. Um, we hear Sydney referenced for the uh, very first time in a James Bond film. He wants to meet him. Uh, we get an interaction. I love kind of Graves. Have we met before? Um, and then we get the uh, Bond, James Bond line. Uh, for some reason, let's meet uh, James Bond and go straight into a fencing match, which is kind of strange. Uh, we get the best one-liner in this film. No thanks. I don't like cockfights. Um, anyway, That's the best one-liner. $1,000 a point. Uh, big fight. Uh, showing off diamonds. I do love angry grades. Of course I want to bloody continue. Um, and then we get this massive-ass sword fight through the random building we're at. Um, the one bit I am absolutely disgusted with is that they ripped that poor man's newspaper um, who was just sitting there innocently reading um, the latest stories. Um, he was about to read that to a lot of factory workers, actually. <laughs> <laughs> about James Bond's death. Um, Miranda steps in. That is enough. Just a bit of sport, Miranda. Um, and basically <laughs> go downstairs, settling the bed. I like your Gustav Crane. I just love like, how, like, Cockney he is. Just a bit of sport, Miranda. I'm uh, not a Korean. <laughs> God blimey! He picks up uh, accents really well, though, because he's gone from Korean to American to British, just like that. Uh, he's good. He gets he invites Bond to Iceland to see Icarus. Um, 
I do absolutely love the interaction between Bond and Frost when he goes, oh, can I expect the pleasure of you in Iceland? You'll never have that fresh, uh, pleasure, Mr. Bond. And I just love Bond. And he's like, ooh. <laughs> like, he's kind of like, ooh, she's so hot. Um, just the way he does that's awesome. And then we get random dude delivering a key saying that the place needed redecorating. Ha, 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 hilarious. Um... And I might stop there because I think we can group the next few bits together because I'm sure you guys want to talk about this whole scene. Um, Miranda Frost, yes, she's good. Um, I yeah. don't think she's as big a deal as Colin's going to make out. I much prefer Jinx. I mean, she's there. She looks good and she turns evil. She's fairly bland, if you ask me. She's nothing special. Um, and Graves, I... I like this whole twist of him being someone and then being... It's a great reveal. I remember when I um, saw it at the movies, I had no fucking idea that this was happening, and then it happened. I'm like, oh, shock plot twist. Um, and Toby Stevens, I think he's a great actor. I think he plays... Toby Stevens? <laughs> <laughs> I think he plays up perfectly to Gustav Graves, who has sort of long been rumoured he's based off Richard Branson. And it's kind of just this... I don't know, this, this cocky British guy obviously ultimately we find out he's kind of modelled off James Bond, and I think you can kind of see that. Um, and I, I like him. I think it's great. he's a great character. And i just point out there, too, people that don't know about Toby Stevens, Toby Stevens has actually played James Bond uh, in radio plays uh, in several of the readings of, like, in the, the older... Older uh, Ian Fleming novels. So, um, yeah, Toby Stevens became James Bond, not only in this film to model off Bond, but later on in audio books. Um, I'm not that down on London Calling, but it does feel very awkward in this movie. This is not like a video kill. A video kill was played as a joke. This is, again, everything in this movie, all the dumb things are played very straight, as if people are going to be like, wow, they got The Clash playing in a Bond movie, and let's talk about this jump here obviously a throwback to the spy who loved me and i can just picture michael wilson barbara broccoli lee tamahori purvis and wade all sitting in a room together like we need like a really great reveal for our villain let's go back to the most iconic moment in the series history where there was that guy who skied down a mountain and did a couple of backflips and in one shot detached his skis and then there was that moment that everybody talked about where his parachute was a union jack like, that's the moment that people remember, not, like, the stunt? Like, do you, do we really think that that's what people cared about? They're like, well, we want to see the parachute again. No, we loved it because of the stunt, not the parachute. Why are you wasting our time with this? If you're going to have Graves introduced, have him do a great stunt. Don't just give him the same parachute. Jumped out of a plane. Which everybody does in a James Bond movie. He didn't just walk into a room and go, get out on Gustav. <laughs> he jumped out of a plane. Well, we, we, we know he could change his accent, so he's Australian all of a sudden. Um, I'm going he's multicultural. to. I'm going to disappoint Noah a little bit here because I, I do think Toby Stevens is a decent actor. I think that the fault of this character comes from the writing later on and the idea that he is this North Korean guy. If the villain were just what we see of Gustav Graves in his first, you know, half dozen scenes here before we find out who he really is. I would like Gustav's Graves as a villain. I, I think that it's kind of like uh, with Carver in Tomorrow Never Dies. He's just this kind of obnoxious, smarmy, you know, British villain that, that's less of a fighter. I mean, we do see him fight, but he's more of just this stiff, smarmy villain. And I like that idea for a villain as opposed to just a superhero every single time. 
and he would have played it well. I like these early scenes uh, when he's being interviewed by the press. He's very cocky. He nails that. It's really funny that kind of like in License to Kill where the press was all asking these ridiculous questions like, is it true you're really a Colombian? Uh, <laughs> there's one really funny question <laughs> here. The Bahamas. It's like, you seem to work 24-7. Is it true you don't sleep? <laughs> like, well... I could understand if they were making a joke. It's like, you seem to work 24-7. Do you ever sleep? It's like, is it true that you don't need sleep? Like, there's a real rumor floating on the internet. It's like, this man does not need sleep. Like, again, this is complete science fiction. It's one thing to just make it as a joke. Say It's almost like the man never sleeps. But to say, is it true you don't actually need sleep? Like, this is a rumor that needs clearing up. He brings up. it up again later <laughs> in the field. Yeah, it's, it's a like side a, effect from the gene therapy. Which nobody knows about. So why is he making it public knowledge? Like, he's telling everybody, I don't need sleep. And if you've ever done research on a Cuban clinic where this is a side effect, don't think anything of it. It has nothing to do with that. But yes, Miranda Frost is here. Thank you. Um, Jamie is thanking you. I am straight again. Uh, <laughs> but the woman who turned you guys here. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, but that just shows the power of Rosamund Pike because I, I turned a blind eye to Madonna showing up on screen here, which, again, like they were sitting around a room, Barbara Broccoli, Michael Wilson, Lee Tamari, P- Purvis and Wade, and they're like, if Halle Berry in a bikini didn't do it for you, if Rosamund Pike doesn't do it for you, we have 50-year-old Madonna with her dress undone in the back. That'll She's 45. get the tips <laughs> And she looked about 55, let's be honest. <laughs> Why are they trying to make a sex symbol out of her when you have Rosamund Pike with swords here? Um, <laughs> I don't understand it. Yeah, I'm, I've always kind of been bothered. I'm not a Madonna fan, but I've always been bothered that she just seems to be the go-to person. If she's in a movie and she's acting, let's just automatically say she's the worst actress ever. She's had some performances where she's not that bad. But this, she is bad every line she delivers is so bad it's painful to watch her it's like if her and Halle Berry uh you know had a co- an acting competition I mean Halle Berry wins this one and Halle Berry is one of the worst actresses I've ever seen I, I don't mind that they have a character in there and it, it's kind of an interesting idea that just there's these random characters that Bond's probably boned before I'm gonna have a little bit of a criticism here uh the movie theater main chain we have here Cineplex has this thing before a movie plays where there's trivia and you can play along on your app and they reward you points for free movies for getting it right and every movie i've gone to i'm always in the top two in the theaters i'm in and the only time i was outside even the top 10 was when i saw specter of all movies because there was one question where they put which uh of these people have have been bond girls and i clicked on yes for madonna and they marked it as no for some reason well they showed a clip of her in the movie so that's just an annoyance on cineplex cineplex you suck give me my points back (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow. I think you're bringing a personal rivalry into the podcast. That <laughs> That's right. Do you, do you not think nine other people war. in that cinema were smarter than you on that day, Colin? Or <laughs> oh, just people who were smart enough that they skipped Die Another Day? Um, are we talking about the fight here, here between Graves yes. and Bond? Okay. Because this is one thing that I do like about the movie. And I think we do start to see a little bit of the over-the-top, like, not-so-subtle things about Graves' anger issues. Uh, but I like, like you said, his delivery of, of course, I want to bloody continue. Um, the fight is good. It's not the best fight scene we've ever seen in Bond, but Bond's fighting with a sword. It's pretty good. They're destroying the club. Uh, you know, there's the interruption with Frost coming in there and breaking up the fight. And then just, again, there's the smarminess of Toby Stevens where he's just laughing. It's like, you know, it's just a bit of sport. 
I like the whole fight scene, so I'm not going to complain about this that much, other than Madonna. Like, they're trying to play sexy with her wrinkled back hanging out. <laughs> give us Miranda Frost being, you know, done up in the back. Don't give us Madonna. Just because you want to do her up in the back? Jesus. I'm pretty sure most of our listeners would rather Rosamund Pike over Madonna, too. Not the gay ones. Uh... <laughs> well, I think of all three of us here, at least on this movie, I can speak for the gay population. <laughs> They'd probably rather do Rosamund Pike up than Madonna. So, so we're, we're all, it's just a throwback. We're established that I'm the feminist voice, Colin's the gay voice. <laughs> and I love old people. Yeah. So you should be loving Madonna in this scene. Let's go. Let's hear it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good point. But Judy Dench. Woo. Um, <laughs> wow. I would do Judy Dench up. Oh, <laughs> stop. <laughs> if she was fencing and needed help with her costume, I would do her up. She'd probably break a hip. <laughs> well, that's why Madonna was so stiff and we didn't see her fighting in this. <laughs> they tried to get her fighting, but she just got stiff and stuck there. So she was trying to analyse it. <laughs> that's how Judy Dench died in Skyfall. She was fencing. Um... Yeah, I hate London Calling, not the song. I, I, I play in a punk rock band, of course. I like The Clash. But this is like, oh, I wonder where we are. <laughs> oh, oh, London Calling, we must be in London on British Airways. Okay. Why? It's dumb. It doesn't fit in a Bond film. And it's one of the worst moments of the film in my eyes. And this is coming from someone who listens to this song. It's just horrible. I can't stand it. Um, yeah, get Graves skydiving into Buckingham Palace and then just leaving. Like, uh, couldn't you take in the bus or something? It seems a bit easier. Uh, Madonna. <sighs> Who came up with this idea to have the singer of the title sequence in the film? It is the dumbest decision one of them ever made in Bond history. Um, just imagine all those, like, oh, and here's Tom Jones on holiday in the Bahamas, or, like, all these other artists showing up. It would be just as ridiculous, but then this is two times as ridiculous because it's Madonna, and she's trying to do fencing, and she's just old and weird. I don't like her. <laughs> Why is this here? Like, not even you can defend this, Ben. She's a horrible actress. She wrote a horrible song. And she sucks. I don't get it. Who thought that would be a good idea? And whoever it was, hopefully they're fired. And I bet you whoever it was ended up dressing as a woman and trying to give a blowjob to a police officer. Because this is what happens when you cast Madonna in a James Bond film. No. No, 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 no. This sword fight is probably my second least favorite scene of the movie. I can't stand it. Really? I don't know. I don't know why I can't stand it. It just pisses me off every time. Part of it is how much he's just destroying the club. And I made a reference to um Comedy Inc at the beginning of this and they had a sketch when this was out where Bond and Graves are fighting and they're basically having a sword fight, and then they're trying to one-up each other. Of Bond picks up a vase and just throws it on the ground, and then Graves picks up this and throws it on the ground, and they're just 
rather than sword fighting, they're just destroying objects for no reason at all. And that perfectly sums up this scene of them just doing that. And I can't remember exactly what they did with Madonna, but they definitely had some Madonna um, parodies in there as well. So I know I have a VHS of it somewhere, so I hope that still exists because I would love to watch all those Die Another Day sketches again. Um, It's ridiculous. So hate Madonna in this film. Like, go off and do your own shit, Madonna. Stop trying to plague things that I enjoy. Um don't think even you can defend this Ben um, I don't like London Calling in this film and pretty much from here on out there's not too many good things with this film and uh, what's her face um, can't believe I'm blanking on this um, the other woman yeah Miranda Frost the other woman I'm kind of in the middle it's funny that Ben was really talking her down and Colin talking her up like this is just complete role reversal um but I'm kind of in the middle. I, I see why Colin liked her, but I've never been a huge fan. She is a shining moment in this film. But overall, in the entire canon of James Bond, she's nothing too special in my eyes. Madonna's in it for like three minutes. Get over it, Noel Groves. Like, she has like three lines and she's Bitch gone. Bitch and double take was two seconds. And you defended it. So, you whatever. You also know that three minutes is a boat what Kissy was in and you only live twice, right? And she was the main Bond girl. I could maybe accept this you would... if Madonna was in this for two seconds, she didn't have any lines, and all she does is a double take. I could accept that. You would not... Madonna double take. You would not think of this twice if this was another random actress. I expect you to rip shit into the fact Richard Branson has a random cameo in he Casino Royale. He doesn't speak in that He's film. still in it. What's he doing there? He's got no purpose to be there. She's an actress. She's entitled to be in a film. Leave her alone. Right. If... if- Bond was doing Richard Branson's shirt up in Casino Royale. We'd have just as many criticisms of it. Yeah, I think I would dig into that too. But again, she's a random character. She's in it for a few minutes and she's gone. If you and why is she in? There? If you watched this in Burkina Faso and had never heard of Madonna, then you wouldn't have two hoots of why this is even a big deal. She's in it. But she's out. I would still say that this is a pointless character. But it's not a point. We get set up for Miranda. We wouldn't know. We don't really know who she is up until oh, that geez, point. Oh, jeez. We really need a Madonna to tell us who Miranda was. Well, we need it. <laughs> Next. Again, random person. Go back and rip shit into random guy who delivered the key. Because, oh, he shouldn't have been in it. He was terrible. What's he doing in this film? We you you went off on what? Sean Campbell for like an hour. <laughs> yes, Sean Campbell has less so lines cool. than Madonna. Bond gets the key, he goes to a tunnel, he's there, he meets up with M. I love this interaction with M when she's all like, you know, oh, we, we need to know, we need to do this. And I just love the way he's like, you burn me and now you want my help. Um, and we kind of get really the only reference to what has happened. We haven't mentioned really, uh, obviously, between World is Not Enough and Die Another Day, uh, 9-11 obviously happened. Um, and it's not a direct line, but obviously it's in reference to it when M says, uh, the while you're away, the world changed, uh, which clearly, obviously, uh, that put a big part into it. Uh, probably more comes so into play. So can we figure out the date of this film? Well, it's set in 2002. <laughs> so when did he get captured? Before September 11. <laughs> 14 months before... Well, but 14 months would be after September 11th based on the release date of the movie. Well, I think I read that it's set in <laughs> November 2002, so if he was, like, as in this part, so he was captured 14 months before, which would make it September 2000, so he's probably just been captured just before 9-11, and then it happens while he's there, so... 
anyway. Um, so we learn a little Glad bit. We covered that. <laughs> we learn a little bit more about Graves. He's politically connected, and then we get uh, Bond wanting to get on with his job. Dun-na, James Bond theme. Um, then we kind of get this interesting scene. I remember watching this in the cinema, going, "What the fuck is going on here?" Like we've got Bond cleaning his gun, and we hear gunshots oh. and. Money Penny's dead. <laughs> Robinson's dead. Uh, everyone's dead except for anyone because it was all just a virtual reality little training <laughs> exercise. Oh, let's wait for Noah to rip shit into this. Um, we get flesh wound bit throwback there to uh, John Cleese, I guess, and uh, in Monty Python, um, Holy Grail. If you haven't seen it, um, and we get uh, this great little scene, uh, new Q. It's uh, it's John Cleese, uh, Noah's favourite. Uh, we see a whole bunch of old relics uh, in this office, which is great. You're, you, every time you watch this, I feel you're discovering a new one. And you know, obviously, we get sort of special notice of the shoe with the knife and the jetpack and the acro stars in the background, the crocodile. Um, so good. Uh, we, we think you just know them all. We see the sonic agitator for the first time. We get the line that is always um, shown in this sequence. You're clever than you look. Better than looking clever than you are. We get the watch, the 20th one, which is uh, not good enough if uh, somebody else in this film is better than Bond, of course. Um, And then we get uh, the introduction. I love this sequence when it's like, I'm here to show you a new vehicle and we just see the, the rail carriage come out. Uh, The latest in British technology. You must be joking. Uh, as I learned from my predecessor, 007, I never joke about my work. And we see the Vanquish, otherwise known as the Vanish, the invisible car. Uh, <laughs> I love Bond's reaction. Oh, very good. Um, and then, of course, we see him shoot through the manual in only a couple of minutes. And I wish I could make you vanish, um, which is great. Anyway, uh, we'll skip along here. We then see Miranda in the office with M. Uh, we learn that she's working for MI6 and he's undercover, trying to learn a little bit about Graves, um, and also learning that uh, Frost is a bit of a prude and doesn't like to have sex. Um, and then, yeah, we'll guess. Skip there along. is a Vargas mention in this <laughs> film. Yay! <laughs> We're off to Iceland, which looks absolutely amazing. I love Iceland as a location. We see the Ice Palace. We get kind of weird editing, which sort of zooms in on Bond's face in the car and then zooms in on the ice palace, which is strange. Um, he gets out of the car. I missed a kill. There's a name to die for. Um, and we see Graves racing in a speed thingy-majiggy. And uh, Bond meets Frost again, says that uh, she must feel right at home, and then goes in the hotel room. And I love it. It's like, would you like to show me more? And then she just kind of buggers off and he throws the key down there. We'll stop there because I guess we can lump all the next bits in there. I've covered a fair bit. Um, but, yeah, I enjoy the Q scene. I enjoy the M scene. Uh, get stuff, Noah Groves. I like the virtual reality scene just because it kind of throws you off completely and you're wondering what the hell is going on. And... Um, I don't care if this technology is sort of only really coming into fruition now. It was still there. It's a nice little twist for it, and I enjoy it. And even later on, we get Money Penny masturbating. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I said this earlier, and I'll say it again. John Cleese was the perfect replacement for Desmond Llewellyn, and Ben Wishaw can get stuffed. John Cleese should have stuck around. He should have been like M, uh, Judy Dent, should have stuck around into the Craig films because that would have just made them a whole bunch better. John Cleese is robbed of having more appearances as Q. He is the perfect Q after Desmond Llewellyn, 
and he still should be that. And Iceland is amazing. That's I think I've covered my thoughts on that. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have that much to hate on this sequence here, but I'll, well, I'll have a couple things at least. Um, the the M scene's pretty good. I don't think it's the best scene we've had between M and Bond. I think I like the earlier scene between M and Bond better just because there's more tension. But the location's great. And again, this being the first time I've watched this all the way through since Skyfall, uh, it's kind of cool to see that this is maybe, you know, the precursor to what we see later on is the new MI6 headquarters, these underground tunnels connected to old train stations and stuff. So I really like the location. Um, the Q scene, yeah, I like the Q scene, not just for all the throwbacks in there, but I'll agree with you. John Cleese is probably the only guy that you could replace Desmond Llewellyn with. And he does something different in this movie than Desmond Llewellyn. I mean, Desmond Llewellyn, he would just get annoyed and groan at Bond, which was really funny. But John Cleese, being John Cleese, every time Bond does something and takes a dig at him, he's going to take a dig right back at him. And that that better than looking clever than you are line, that's the best one-liner in this movie by far. Uh, not the dumb ones you've mentioned so far. <laughs> Uh, John Cleese nails it so far and um, I really don't have any problem with him in this movie I mean the invisible car John Cleese doesn't really play it for laughs I, I figured he would have you know done something a little bit funnier here but I don't know what you're talking about with that line the I wish I could make you vanish that's like the worst moment he has <laughs> because it's just it's just a childish insult so far he's been that's really great quick. about it no, he's been so quick in coming back at Bond with everything he says. Uh, you know, especially with the looking clever than you are line, everything. He's so quick to come back at him. So all of a sudden, it's like, I wish I could make you vanish. Like it's it's like a kid's insult. Like a kid's like, uh, it's like you're ugly. It's like your face is ugly. <laughs> it's just gonna be childish insults back and forth between them. This one. It just it doesn't seem like the right thing for Q to say or Bond to say. And. I would have rather they ended the scene on the whole just took a few minutes to shoot through. Let's talk about these gadgets a little bit. Virtual reality. Okay, the virtual reality thing itself, it was a nice little surprise the first time you see it, but there's somebody said for a gag that doesn't work on repeat viewings. You know, we're talking about how in the world is not enough. Electra's reveal uh, of being the villain. It's something that works no matter how many times I've seen that movie. The virtual reality thing does not hold up at all because you know what's coming, so there's no suspense. And it barely works as an action scene the first time around. Especially going back, and let's look over this. It's virtual reality. I'm assuming Bond is looking at this from his own point of view. Why is the virtual reality machine showing an establishing exterior shot of the MI6 headquarters? Like, They've got Tiger Tanaka cameras, so you only live fast callback. And we see the exact same thing later on with Money Penny. It's like virtual reality starts with an exterior establishing shot of the location you're supposed to be in. Like that's not virtual reality. That's called a movie that you're watching through sunglasses. <laughs> so that makes no sense. And the, the invisible car. Okay. It is dumb. There are moments where though, where you could forgive it being an invisible car. And like you said, Ben, just enjoy it for being a movie. But is this thing running on invisible gasoline that, has invisible fumes coming out of the exhaust pipe like why are we not seeing the exhaust coming out of here do they somehow have a way of invisibilizing gas <laughs> gas is invisible and oh. noise as well when it drives up at the ice palace and no one yeah. even hears a car <laughs> like i don't understand this i mean I'll, I'll have an even bigger complaint when we get to the the scene later on because you can hear it running later on and there's no f exhaust fumes coming out of the back like 
no, it does not make sense, the Invisible Car. And I give credit to Pierce for playing it up. The whole are you joking line, that's the one moment where he can do a Sean Connery and it's not just a bad impression. And, you know, even the whole it's very, oh, very good line, I like that. But it's still an Invisible Car. I mean, we've completely jumped the shark here. <laughs> we've seen Gene Therapy and an Invisible Car has just entered this movie. No, it does not make any sense at all. Moving on to Iceland. Iceland, yeah, great location. You know, I don't think that Tomorrow Never Dies, Goldeneye, or World Is Not Enough have played up the locations nearly well enough in this series. They sell Iceland, and they really sell this Ice Palace. The Ice Palace is, hands down, the best set that's constructed in any of the Pierce Brosnan movies. And when we get to the Daniel Craig's, there may be one that actually can contend with this. But the set is spectacular, especially since they did build it for real. Give them total credit for that. Um, again, Miranda Frost's introduction. I mean, she's living up to the character here. We learn that obviously she's an MI6 agent. But we should mention just briefly here, uh, if we're going through, are we actually covering the whole unveiling of the Icarus or will that be next? Uh, we'll get to that next. Okay. So I'll save that. But just as a tease, this movie was originally meant to be kind of a loose adaptation of the Moonraker novel, which had never been used outside of Drax's name. And we've already seen the Club Blades, which was, you know, the beginning of the Moonraker novel, and they changed it to a fencing club. And the Miranda Frost character was supposed to be, you know, Gala Brand, the, the main Bond girl. And they do a really good job of doing that. And they do a good job of even Gustav Graves in some ways tying into Moonraker, which we'll see a little bit more of that later on. But I think that's one of the reasons why this sequence works a little bit better is because there's some imagination to it. And uh, uh, there's some interesting things going on with the characters, but you're not quite sure what's going on yet. Mr. Kill is the dumbest name ever for a character. And this guy... Which, sorry, sorry to Noah. This guy's famous more for the Lord of the Rings as playing the head Urukai in the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, we know why he only had one line in that movie. Is that Lawrence? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly Duh, what it is. Noah, everyone knows that. <laughs> I did not. He has one line in both movies, and his one line growling in Fellowship of the Ring is better than him. I'm Mr. Kill. Like he says it with a list. This is supposed <laughs> to be a tough guy named Mr. Kill. I'm Mr. Kill. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> Madonna turned him gay too. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I love Iceland and I love the Ice Palace. Mister Kill's my name. <laughs> Mister Quill, darling, what's going on? Who Wave made you for Double uh, Seven? Just stereotype. Here's here's a, a Lord of the Rings reference. Who made you, Madonna? <laughs> yeah. Someone needs to read alerts. Um. <laughs> And Scaramanga, Scaramanga made him. Scaramanga yeah. made Mr. Kill. Yeah, I never put that together. <laughs> ben is scratching his head right now. He didn't see that half of Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, so there's a man with the Golden Gun reference in this one as well, <laughs> apart from the Funhouse. Um, <laughs> um, are you done, Connor? Yeah. Let me see. Um I like the secret un underground tube thing, even though it's just off like Westminster Bridge, which was like one of the biggest tourist hotspots in London when I was there. So it's silly to kind of have it just off there. Um, but I think it's kind of cool meeting spot. Um, the virtual reality. I don't dislike it because it's virtual reality. I've got no problem with that. Like this is James Bond. We've had, a watch grapple hook glass film. 
I've got no problem with that. He went to space. My problem is, much of this film is, why? Oh, this film hasn't been very exciting for half an hour. Let's kill off Money Penny. It's just, why is this scene here? And the cut into it is ridiculous. It's just, this is just for a cheap, a cheap twist, a cheap action sequence, a cheap everything. It's horrible. It's using virtual reality to just add excitement to your film, which is one of the laziest forms of writing and filmmaking you can possibly have. It's basically the equivalent of it was all a dream. It's ridiculous. Um, the Q scene I do like, and you thought I wouldn't say that. I was only critical last film because he wasn't Q in that film. He was a dumb thing out of a kid's movie. In this, he's not Desmond Llewellyn, but he is the character of Q. And I'm kind of upset we never got to see more of John Cleese because he does do the role so well. And, yeah, he probably wouldn't fit with Casino Royale, but it's still, if they had another Brosnan one, it would have been good. Um, at least he would get in the Everything or Nothing video game, Q voices. Oh, John Cleese voices Q as does Brosnan voice Bond, so that's at least something more of Q, uh, please. Um, so I really like it. I, I'm with Colin, the I wish you could vanish, is just one of the most childish things we've ever heard from any of the Qs, and it isn't funny at all. Uh, the line is just completely falls flat. Um, I like the references in the background, like, some of the ones in other portions of the film, it doesn't work. But here, cue scenes are always meant to be goofy. So I think it works to have them there. I wish they had kind of more of them. Um, and being the anniversary film, we really needed some background Smithers guys doing uh, funny stunts with using cue gadgets. Like that needed to be in the anniversary film. But I I like the cue scene. I think it's one of the better ones, honestly. Um the car. I I don't hate the fact that this invisible car, and Ben, you kept mentioning that for weeks and weeks, and that's not even one of my biggest problems with this film. Uh, yeah, it's completely jumped the shark with an invisible car. My biggest problem, again, is with all of this film, is why? It's a cool car. Just have the car. Why make it invisible? The scenes where he's driving it and it's not invisible are the better scenes. The scenes with the invisible car are just cringeworthy and annoying. So it's not so much the invisible car that's my problem, is the why they had to have an invisible car when they could have just had a cool car like Bond films of the past. It's dumb. Um, so I like the Q scene. I don't like the car, but I don't hate it as much as Ben probably thought I would other than the fact I just don't understand why they felt the need to do that and just simple tweaks could have made this film so much better. But anyway, um, and yeah, after this in Iceland, this film just turns into Star Wars for a minute. Like we have Graves showing up in a pod racer. Straight after that, Zhao shows up as Darth Maul with a hood over himself. Um, I don't know when it suddenly turned into Star Wars. Next, James Bond will be going to space, but... Uh, oh, wait. Yeah, but um, I like Iceland as well as you guys and the Ice Palace, even though Ice Palace is a bit silly, but I think it's pretty cool. So I like the Q scene overall. There's some dumb stuff in there. The car isn't great, but whatever. 
I just got to point out, we've seen a car turn into a plane. We've seen a car turn into a submarine. That happened in real life. And they're yeah, developing the technology things. for this to happen in real life too. Thank you very much. So this it's is something that's So in another legitimate. 40 years, this will yeah. be relevant. <laughs> but you say, why? What's the point of it? Well, what's the? why couldn't um thing I get into just a plane? Why did he plane at the car turn into a plane? Just get out of the car and get into you a plane. Remember back, that was my least favourite scene of the entire man with the golden gun. I'm just putting it out there. I think that the invisible car is not as bad as people make it out to be. The Aston Martin, we should mention, uh, we went over the BMW sponsorship in the Brosnan films. That ran out. They're back to the Ford sponsorship, which uh, they own Aston Martin and Jaguar, so that's why we get them in this film. So it's the first time we've actually had a proper Aston Martin in it since Living Daylight. We did have an Aston Martin in GoldenEye, but that was just more of Brosnan or Bond's weekend car, I guess you could say. Um, and the yeah, the the Vanquish went on to be a massive seller, like it sold out like ridiculously quick. And the Jaguar used in this film, which we'll get to, uh, apparently was only a prototype that they never developed into something more. So basically, the Jaguars in this film were only ever made for die another day. So if you own one of them and- somehow. You are rich. Um, yes, Colin, and did I... How what? many of those people who bought the Vanquish were sorely disappointed when they got home and realized it did not turn invisible? <laughs> no, it was just one big, like, con from, like, a Nigerian salesman or something. They get a big box <laughs> and they open the box and there's nothing in there. We told you the you were getting sold- an Aston Martin Vanish. <laughs> Do we have, like, numbers to break down how many of these cars sold in India compared to the rest of the world? <laughs> <laughs> I'll give uh, Radisham a call. Um, Why so. don't you see Bond? The car is invisible, but wouldn't you see Bond sitting sitting on nothing, steering? Well, I guess it projects nothing? from one side of the car to the other. So as long as he has the window shut. Yeah. yeah. No, oh, I don't damn, know anything about invisible cars. Um, yeah, let's not. Do- debate the logic all right we're going to cover a lot here um because we're running a bit long and there's a lot happens in iceland but i think we can probably cover the majority of everything that happens here um we're at the party at ice this is where we hear the die another day uh music uh as we see people skating around and bond getting a vodka martini with plenty of ice plenty of ice if you can spare it um, meanwhile, we cross, as you said, Noah, I've written here, Hooded Man arrives. I haven't really mentioned uh, Darth Maul. But um, we kind of... This is the reveal. This is where we've learned that Graves uh, is Colonel Moon. Uh, so this is the reveal with Zhao. Um, anyway, uh, back to the bar. We've got Bond and Jinx, and I'm sure you two absolutely love the exchange of one-liners and all that sort of stuff. Uh, being explaining his Big Bang Theory, got the thrust of it, blah, 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 blah. Um, then we get to the reveal of Icarus. Now, as somebody who works for the media, you rock up to these big events when they're, you know, introducing something, there's, there's organization involved, let's get the media here at this time and we'll come on this stage and things are generally well planned. Now, they have flown the world's media to Iceland to see the reveal of this amazing new thing that can grow crops and do all this sort of shit. Graves comes out for about two minutes Says, this is Icarus, look how fucking magnificent it is. And then he pisses off. He doesn't stay for questions. Like, you know, Jacinta Johnson is there from Space Magazine. She might have an interview for Graves. Like, she might want to question him on the how this happens and all this sort of jazz. Uh, that's one of Ben's concerns and hates about this film. Um, there's a few. Uh, I love how Bond and Jinx are badasses and don't need sunglasses while everybody else wears them. Um, and we get the line of, you have no idea how much Icarus is going to change your world. 
Um, I mean, this this really still like great. What's this got to do with anything? We'll learn about that um, soon. Uh, then we get uh, Bond looking over where he's going with the case and uh, everything along those lines. Gets in his invisible car. I've actually written here. Couldn't you hear the engine? We do see the tire marks. Um, then we're, we're also we've met Vlad at this point. We haven't really mentioned Vlad. I, I like Vlad. I think you mentioned you like him, Colin. I think he's a fun little weird sort of nerdy, pesty guy. Dumb and dumber. <laughs> he's still there and he's been introduced to his RoboCop outfit eventually. Um, Bond gets caught but then sort of escapes and starts macking it on with Frost. Um, one of my favourite lines of this entire film is, uh, and I remember this getting the biggest laugh of anything in the cinema, is when they're making out and then when she turns around and says, uh, are they still watching us? And he's like, oh, they left ages ago. And it's like, oh, you're incorrigible. And just, uh, I love that. Um, they go back, they have sex. Uh, gun goes under the pillow. Uh, they have sex on a swan bed. Um, anyway, in the meantime, Jinx is being all spying, going through the roof and going on weird cables. She's gotten captured and is getting electrocuted. We get uh, the second best one-liner of this film. Uh, Who sent you? Your mama. And she told me to tell you she's really disappointed in you. I love it. Get stuffed. It's funny. Uh, Get off our podcast, Ben. A yo mama joke in Bond. It sits well with the style of this film. Um, What, shit? Yeah, I know. Zhao reveals the mind is fake, but the lasers are real. We see these giant laser thingy-majiggies. I do love it when Zhao says to Mr. Kill, like, finish her off, and he's like, I'll use the laser. And he's like, don't leave a mess. Meanwhile, Bond's dived underneath frozen water and somehow doesn't freeze to death, but he's got that weird little breathing apparatus thing from Thunderball. Uh, he's back into the thing. We're hearing, sounds like Halle Berry's getting off. Um, she's moaning, but it's only because she's scared she's getting chopped up by a laser. Why is Mr. Kill making this go really slow? We see how fast these lasers move in a minute. Like, wouldn't yeah. you just, like, chop her up pretty quickly? Uh, we get a laser fight. Bond and Mr. Kill. Mr. Kill gets killed. We find out Jinx is from the NSA, not the CIA. Um, I'm just going through this. Uh, she jinx chops off Mr. Kill's hand, throws it away, gets into the building. Uh, we get the uh, incredibly cheesy line. Which I don't even like this line. I, you went off about the world is not enough being a horrible line. I think this is a horrible line. So you live to die another day, Colonel. Um, and then we learn that he modeled him on Bond. Uh, Frost comes in. We think she's there to save James Bond, but dun dun dun, plot twist, she's evil. Um, Bond falls to his knees uh, after learning about a punchline and uses a sonic agitator. Escapes. Um, I love how Graves is saying, kill him quietly, and they're just all shooting the shit out of everything. Um, we get uh, him in. He escapes into the pod racer. <laughs> Rocket speeds, sled speeds off. Uh, we get Graves with these Koreans. I'd, I'd love to know why these Koreans are there. Like, what do they think they're doing there? Like, he's gotten on the phone. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Gustav Graves. He let's get a bunch of North Koreans out to Iceland. They'll love it. Bloody fantastic. Yeah, shouldn't they be worried if someone invites a bunch of North Koreans to Iceland? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And like particularly, and later why on are the North a, Koreans coming? And he's in a colonel uniform later on in North Korea. Like, sure, the North Koreans just let random white English guys wear their military uniforms now. Um, Come to North Korea because we've got <laughs> surfing. <laughs> 
Um, so yes, anyway, so then Graves gets his Robocop outfit on and gets this massive laser coming, which amazes me. Where's the world's press gone? Aren't they seeing this giant Icarus laser that they've just seen revealed, just randomly shooting lasers at a pod racer in the middle of the Iceland ice? Um, well, that's what the North Koreans are there for. They're the distraction. They're like, oh, get the North Koreans out of here so they don't see the massive fireballs. Then this sequence leads to... Even I can't defend this. The the pod racer gets to the end of the cliff. We get the grappling hook. That, I have to say, I think the worst piece of CGI in this entire sequence, and this is saying something, because this entire sequence is just shit personified, is the pod racer going over the cliff, and you've got, like, this weird slow-motion style bouncing into the eyes. <laughs> what is that? Um, then Graves has got to draw a line, which is always used in the trailers. Bond's hanging about, literally. Um, grabs the back of the pod racer and decides, See, oh, that's I might... a better one liner than half the stuff in this film. Might use it as a surfboard. Oh, surfing is just a big thing in this film. <laughs> <laughs> the cliff melts off. Oh, God. Then we get... I I remember this in the cinema. Dad and I looking at each other going, what the actual fuck are we watching right now? Like, can I just say, on paper, this is a cool idea. If you can work out a way to do it for real and not yeah. have Sims Bond Which on you can't. So PlayStation don't. 2 graphics... <laughs> With the Bond theme, with Pierce Brosnan <laughs> awkwardly looking like he's trying to hang a load somewhere, and then it randomly cuts into him floating on a parachute. Why isn't the water, like, sweeping over where he's just landed? And, like, like are they that close? To, this is just called a tsunami. A giant ice block has just fallen into the water. It's like 100 feet high, too. <laughs> And that he's just landed. Like, I love this film, but I can't defend this. This is rubbish, and this looks worse now than it did in 2002. And this is, you know, when computer-generated effects are meant to be, you know, pretty high standard. Lee, what's his face? Must have gone to his local chicken feed in New Zealand and just gone, oh, look at this there, Joel. It's the latest 3D effects for Windows 95. Um, this is embarrassing. There's no, no one with a brain can defend this scene at all. It's shit. It is just, I took a dump last night that looked more realistic surfing than this scene did. It's, it's rubbish. Absolutely shit. No excuse can be made for it. It's terrible. Okay, so, um, everything up to the car chase here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot of stuff a lot I, there. <laughs> a lot of stuff I actually like here. Again, they're... They're taking ideas from the Moonraker novel, and it's kind of unfair. A lot of people say, well, this is they've had no original screenplays. The things they have taken from the Moonraker novel here still is more than most of, like, more than I'd say the You Only Live Twice movie has out of the You Only Live Twice novel. Uh, probably more than the, maybe more than the Man with the Golden Gun one. Um, and a lot of stuff's good, as I mentioned. The, the idea that, you know, Galabrand, which... You know, Miranda Frost's character, that was the original name of her character. They were taking the same name from the Moonraker novel. And it's the same idea that this, you know, other MI6 agent is working as the secretary to the villain. And that the villain has this big event that he's planning to unveil this, you know, what we find out as a weapon, but that he's presenting it to the world like it's something different. 
there's a lot of great ideas from Moonraker they use in here that do work. And this is one of the reasons I, I love Miranda Frost, because she has an interesting character that takes a different turn, even from what you're expecting. If you went into this knowing the Moonraker novel, you're still surprised when you find out that she is bad. And they handle it much better than I think they have uh, in uh, a lot of the other movies. Not quite as good as Electric King, but uh, it's still a good surprise when you find out, despite the very obvious slow-mo reveal they have for her later on. But I love Miranda Frost as either of these characters. And she saves every scene she's in, as far as I'm concerned. And it, it helps you have a real actress here, even though she was obviously, Rosamund Pike's become a much bigger you know, Oscar-nominated actress since. At the time, this was pretty much one of her first movies. You still see she has so much more talent than most of the other actors in this movie. Vlad, yeah, I love Vlad too. I, I think I wish he had a lot more in the movie. Uh, he only really has a couple of lines. And my favorite, one of the hardest I laughed in this movie, every single time I watch it, I always get a laugh out of when Bond is escaping in the rocket sled. And Vlad's like, hey, boss, look, he beat your time. He's all excited. Gray's face uh, expression's awesome in that bit. Yeah, Vlad's great. And Mr. Kill, again, like terrible henchman. So we said, it doesn't make any sense. These lasers move at a lightning speed. And let's just talk about the whole laser thing. What? Uh, <laughs> the, it, this is, again, where you had the, the group meeting where they're like, well, how do we make this bigger and better than past movies? And I think this was during the age where sequels were starting to become really big. And every sequel had to be, every sequel that came out was always, it's bigger and better than the last one. So they figured we had a laser in GoldenEye. How do we make it bigger and better? Let's just add 17 lasers and have them move really fast so you can't even follow what's going on on screen. Clearly, actors can't even follow because if you have that many lasers going everywhere, you're running screaming. You're not sitting there putting your dukes up, blocking punches from Mr. Kill. These lasers should be chopping them all in half. It's, even when I did enjoy this movie, that was always my least favorite sequence of the movie. Even over the kite suffering, I'm going to say the lasers going everywhere is awful. And Halle Berry, more criticism for her. Yo mama is, oh, I'm going to get flustered even trying to talk. Well, let's just come right out and say worst line in any Bond movie ever uh, does not fit Bond at all. Again, it's just another attempt for them. They're cramming Jinx down your throat so bad. And Halle Berry overplays everything. Another example of how she ruins what could be good one-liners. The whole, I get the thrust of it. You know, if she had just said it subtly the way that everybody says these Bond lines, it would be fine. But she'd go, I get the... And then she almost turns to the camera and goes, thrust of it? You're expecting to hear the... Boom, <laughs> she has no subtlety. She's, It's like she's in <laughs> Comedy Inc., either the Australian or Canadian version of it. She doesn't understand that this is supposed to be a semi-serious movie and have some subtlety to get a laugh. There's nothing about her that works in this movie. Uh... The kite surfing, I mean, nothing else needs to be said on that. It's, it's the worst CGI, I think, of any movie released in 2002. Um, I think it's the most ridiculous-looking sequence of anything released in 2002. And, uh, I mean, I think Triple X uh, was out that year, and that did real stunts. And, and there was a lot of talk at the time about, is Triple X going to replace Bond? And at the time, I remember thinking, that's dumb. Die Another Day was way better than Triple X. I think if we go back and watch Triple X now, we're going to be like, Wow, they did some you know ridiculous stunts, but they did real stunts. They didn't. This isn't even Pierce Brosnan on a green screen. This is like you said. It's like Super Mario Pierce. It's Sims Pierce floating in the air with the worst looking water I've ever seen. Uh, no, I mean the Iceland stuff started out so good and just ends so badly here. But there's one good sequence still to come, so uh, maybe it can be forgiven. We'll see. 
Um, oh, where to start? Um, yo, mama, yo, get effed. That's the worst <laughs> line ever. Um, ben, you defended blinking fish and defended many things in the past. That was bad, but you defending yo mama, I feel embarrassed. Um, <laughs> yo mama would be embarrassed with you, Ben. <laughs> that's just ridiculous. And um, I, I like a tweet I read earlier that uh, maybe you're the idiot of the family, Ben, not uh, <laughs> your mum or your dad. Uh, that's me stealing Colin's jokes there yeah. for once. At least you give credit to it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, call back again to one of our past episodes. Um, yep. We're doing we're doing good with the 007 references. Um, Make sure you put them all on jamesbondwiki.com. <laughs> um, the lasers, like you have to think there must be some OHS here if they're inviting like world leaders and media here. Like these lasers are everywhere, and I don't even understand how they get turned back on. Like. What happens there? Um, and it seems like a really messy way to kill someone um, and having to clean it up, like burn them with lasers. You'd think there'd be a lot of guts there. <laughs> so um, who was going to clean that up? Uh, did we mention the rebreather was back from Thunderball? That's yep, pretty cool yep. to see that back. Um so you live to die another day, moving on. Um, <laughs> we also get the second mention of Sydney, so that's cool, I guess. Um, yeah, the pod thing over the cliff. Um, I watched this at your house, Ben, on your massive HD TV, and that doesn't... This is one case where HD does not help this film because that made it look all the more horrible and laughable. We literally laughed out loud. Um, and then what's something about global warming? What does he say? Global warming. Um, it's a horrible thing. Yeah. Terrible. Keeping up with the times. Um, <laughs> and they bow and they walk out. I don't get that. They're like, yes, it is. And we'll leave Ooh, the room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they bow and walk out because they see this massive wave. Ooh, surfing. <laughs> They, were, you know, they got that reaction because they showed the actors the finished visual effects shot for the sequence that was about to happen. I just love the idea. You make, he makes a one line about global warming and they're just like, hmm, let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> that was bad. Let's leave. Just don't say anything. Um, but yeah, where was the deleted scene of Bond kite surfing and you see the five Koreans surfing in the background? Oh, right in the way, <laughs> surfing. Cowabunga, <laughs> uh, be dude! Better in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, I think you guys have summed up the worst moment in James Bond history with the <laughs> skiing. With the oh, it, it is so bad. It's just again, my catchphrase for this film is why, and I feel like we need to interview Lee Tamagotchi and just say, Lee, welcome to the show. Firstly, nice week that you're wearing. Uh, <laughs> secondly, one question. Why? It's so many whys for this film I do not understand. Um, it's probably not all of Lee's fault. I'm sure there's other people to blame, but... McClory. It's, <laughs> yeah. Hashtag 007 callback. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't get 
I don't think even on paper it's good because it could never work. They would never be able to get this to work in real life. So don't do it. That's not what Bond is. This is supposed to be a celebration of Bond and you're shitting over all of the legacy of the stunts of Bob Simmons and the other great stuntmen by having this. It's horrible. I hate it. Worst moment in James Bond history. Um, and then cool car chase. I love the car chase. We're <laughs> not up to that bit yet, but you've covered your thoughts. Okay. Uh- <laughs> well, I will say that um, that this scene is probably the only good scene of the film, uh, the car chase. There's been some okay ones, but this actually has okay stunts minus the invisible parts, and I like both the cars, and it was in a lot of the trailers, so I like the cars. Uh, literally a cool car chase because it takes place on ice, but on boom, shh, that was a joke. Um, before that, Zhao gets kicked in the head. You don't have Jinx. to tell us every time it was a joke. Now, oh, just so now I can't. Now it. I'm doing it too much. There, can't you're we? You only tell us when we don't get it. Not every you're... time you tell a joke, that was a joke. Zhao, you're becoming the Halle Berry of this podcast. <laughs> I take that with an absolute big bit of compliment. Thank you very much, Colin Hilding. I will just go polish my Oscar. Um, now, uh, well, Zhao that was gets a joke. Your Oscar. Dow gets kicked to the head. Uh, <laughs> uh, Frost telling about good tailoring. Hope it does a shrink when it's wet. That's great. Um, then we get this, uh, the chase. Yeah, Bond's in his invisible car and he takes out two people on those ski-doo things, whatever it is. Um, we get the Jaguar versus Aston Martin uh, chase, which again, summing up what Noah said, it's fantastic. The making of, I remember watching the making of this. That was good. The making of this so is fantastic. very good. Uh, they actually had to make both of these cars uh, four-wheel drive because to actually drive out on the ice. And some of these scenes, which they couldn't get to work on the ice because they kept spinning out, they actually just got an old car park and basically iced it over to make it look like it was still a frozen lake. So, um, yeah, it's it's great scene. Um, we get to see sort of... Is this really the first time we've actually seen a, a villain have gadgets in a in a car? Um, I don't really think we've ever seen that before, so it well, works Jonah out. Jonah Volpe had rockets on her motorcycle. Oh, of course, yes. Throwback then to um, <laughs> to Thunderball. Uh, yeah, so we get this great scene, as we said, um, driving on his roof, the ejector seat spinning. Um, he takes out a couple of guards, goes into the ice palace, um, goes through the circus, he's trying to save Jinx. Meanwhile, of course, Icarus is burning the shit out of the ice palace and Graves is going away on his plane. Uh, my biggest thing about this is when he gets to the point where he's at the top and we see Zhao, like, revving up and he's got his spiky bits ready to take out Bond, Bond finally gets his adaptive camouflage up and he can, you know, drive backwards to hide. Why does he need to go invisible at that point? Couldn't he just drive yeah. up backwards anyway? Like, there's no purpose of him going invisible. It doesn't matter either way. Exactly, Zal's You're going catching on. That <laughs> was going 70 kilometers on ice. Like, it doesn't matter if you're invisible. Back up two inches and that was dead. Exactly. Um, see, I'm picking things, Noah. Um, and then uh, Bond drives around, kills Zhao by shooting at the thing. We get a Trevelyan throwback, um, getting crushed, but we get blood in the water this time. Uh, Bond saves Jinx, runs and jumps into the warm water. What took you so long? Yeah, Jinx is saved. Colin and I were thrilled. Um, now, I'll, I'll sort of end this bit just before we get to the actually on the plane, but we kind of learn a little bit more about what the hell uh, Graves is going to do. We're back now with Bond and Jinx and uh, 
everybody else, Falco, M, um, they're going to be destroying basically the minefields and the demilitarized zone so Graves can swoop in and bomb the shit out of South Korea and basically this plot revolves around him wanting to make Korea North Korea. Okay, fair enough. Uh, we see him with the robot suit. He meets his father again. I don't know you, but he does know him. And um, yeah, fantastic. Bond's on the plane. Jinx is on the plane. Um, maybe I will just keep going here to the end, mate, as well. <laughs> oh, will I stop? No, I'll stop just before we get to the climax. I think we'll talk about the climax separately. So we've got the car chase. We've found out about the plot and they've snuck onto the plane. They've also done that weird skydivey thing on the little planey things, which... Um, I don't know if that's the throwback to the Halo jump in Tomorrow Never Dies. Maybe, if we want to put that up there. Um, car se- the car chase is fantastic. Um, the plot bitten on the plane's good. And and Graves killing his dad in his random North Korean military uniform, which is fine by the North Koreans, is okay. Um, <coughs> I just want to talk really quickly about the whole weapon here, which... Again, I don't know why Graves, if he intended to just use this to take over the world, decided to hold the event to present it to the world. Like, uh, you know, this is this is what we're going to use to bring light to parts of the world that don't have it and uh, grow crops year round. I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, I've I've done some landscaping and lawn care and stuff like that in the past, and I'm pretty sure that year round sunlight is just going to do nothing but scorch and burn every crop on the planet not to mention this is not natural light there's a reason they all have sunglasses so why he even tried to present this again just looks really dumb in the movie i would rather just unveil this as a weapon car chase yeah uh not just a a good sequence but a great sequence this was the only one where i could honestly feel like this is a clear choice for hall of fame and we're not going to be laughed at for including this among our other Hall of Fame picks, because it's a great car chase. And it's also something that, you know, we've complained about how having, uh, you know, somebody who's just doing James Bond, James, not doing James Bond that way, but Jinx is being James Bond in this. You wish, that it, <laughs> But that hurts the movie. Uh, it doesn't hurt having, you know, Bond's car versus an equally powerful car. It actually is something we've never seen before. And because Bond does win in the end, it's a battle. Uh, I actually really like it. You know, with Zhao, I don't know why Zhao has his convertible top already off when he's driving this in Iceland. I mean, this is way out in the middle of nowhere. Why he wanted to convert, well, I don't to know. To please you, he wanted to take his top off for you. <laughs> <laughs> that was his joke. Well, I, <laughs> I do want to quickly off. just... I haven't had enough time to talk about Zhao in this episode. Um, Zhao is a really good henchman, and he's never going to be up there with Knick-Knack or Jaws or Odd Job. But I think of the modern Bonds, he's easily my favorite. And for two things, one, he has this cool attitude about him, like he just doesn't care. Uh, he's you know great in these fight scenes with with the car and everything, and he's got the most unique look we've seen. We haven't seen that from any henchman in a long time. Just a guy who just looks just really unique and bizarre the fact that he's halfway through his gene therapy just adds to his character where he could say nothing this could be the silent henchman like mr hanks and be way more memorable just because he looks cool and i i think that it's not something where i want more of him in the end you know there's a lot of these henchmen where you wish they hadn't been killed off for the final act i think he's in it just the right amount and he's one thing they handled right in this movie and um yeah, I, I really quickly want to talk about the the scene where Miranda Frost is confronting Jinx because I did start to question at this point because every like you use the 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 phrase like the shining uh, lights of this movie 
that's exactly what I said when Miranda Frost came on screen to my wife. I'm like, this is the shining light of this movie. And I started to question in the end whether it was just because, you know, she's a good character, because she's really hot, or if it's just because she spends the entire movie insulting Halle Berry that I get a kick out of it. Because from this point on, every scene she has, she's just insulting and, and mocking Halle Berry, and that makes her so much more endearing. Uh the car chase is great on ice and it is a bit of a throwback. When I first saw this, even in the trailer, I was thinking of the living daylights, you know, the brief moment where the car is on the ice. It must've been really hard to do this and credit to them for not using CGI best sequence of the movie. And it's still good. Even when they're in the ice palace, despite the fact the invisible gadget comes back and doesn't make sense. It's a great end to that climax. So I really like that. And I don't really have much to talk about the opening stuff on the plane, just that, if Halle Berry hasn't been bad enough as an over-the-top actress, we have probably the most bland, dull, bored, worst-acted, delivered line we've ever heard. Uh, the scenes where they're introducing uh, the thing, and I can't remember the exact line, but I will put it at the end of this episode where they're talking about Graves' plan and everything, and it's just, it, it sounds like, somebody was reading a cue card and had no acting experience. So there is nothing good about Halle Berry in this movie. I can't think of one decent moment she has from the start to finish. Uh, the plane stuff, I'm convinced they only had a plane to have a Goldfinger reference in there. Like, I don't know why else they had the on the plane. Um, Graves killing his dad. Okay. Uh, fine. Um, Jinx versus Miranda it's just like I don't know it's just again the Jinx it has to be better than Bond like she kills more than he does in this film and again it's not a gender thing it's that James Bond should be number one unless it's a reboot then um, the suit is just this is you kept shitting on going to space. This is straight out of science fiction. This RoboCop business, um, shooting like laser beams or whatever it does, it's ridiculous. Um, this, it, it makes him look like an action figure, and it makes him look like a joke, not a scary villain. Um, so mm. I'm not. A, I'm not a fan of that at all. I think it it makes this film even more of a joke by having robot graves in there. Um, And then read this, bitch. Like, you're really skipping ahead to what I haven't covered yet. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're never going to be done if we don't talk about this. (laughs) I already talked about the the cast sequence, so... um, (laughs) You and I will talk about this separately, Colin. It's fine. I'll continue. Yeah. Noah fell asleep for a while and just assumed we were over the So Bond um, gets his two kills, he becomes a double O agent. That was a joke. <laughs> um, he suddenly looks like Daniel Craig from Tomb Raider. <laughs> Tomb Raider, yes. Read this bitch is dumb. Um, Bond killing graves is just to have Goldfinger in there. I don't know if that's a living daylight thing with the plane. And the helicopter escape is okay, but not great. <laughs> okay, so uh, we then see uh, Bond um, getting involved and shooting a hole in the plane. People get sucked out, which could be a reference to Goldfinger. Um, 
Don't know, perhaps. Uh, Halle Berry's jinx has taken over the plane after a pilot's gone to take a dump and we never see him again, so clearly he had a massive dinner or curry or something. Um, for some reason, Frost shows up in just a bra. Um, okay, fair enough. We're not nitpick that. Let's accept that for what it is. She's not a male, Colin. I don't know why you're getting so... <laughs> <laughs> or is she? <laughs> um... Yes, and people are all getting sucked out. And I mean, the Frost Jinx fight, yeah, cool. It's two chicks having a fight. I'm not going to complain about that. Um, I love the fact that Jinx is like got two swords and she's up against an Olympic gold medalist. Well, technically an Olympic silver medalist, but um, you know, whatever. Um, you say you condone violence against women? Well, if a woman's bashing a woman in a fight to the death, <laughs> then. <laughs> I don't condone any violence, Noah. Not just perform against... for me. Bring me some more meat. <laughs> not just, not just women or men. It's just violence in general. I, I think it's Noah a... wants Ronda Rousey to be unemployed. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> the fight's fine. And ben, the... ben condones all fine. <laughs> Read this, bitch. Whatever. It's there. I don't mind it. It's okay. It's with the Art of War book, and you know, it's poignant. Whatever. She's dead. I don't. She gets <laughs> stabbed in like she gets stabbed in like the sternum though. Like she's nowhere near a heart. I don't know how that kills her. If anything, she's got a dislodged vertebrae after that stabbing. But oh, the other day, poignant in one sense. Um, and the Graves Bond fight. Yeah, the RoboCop suit's a bit silly, but it's it's. it's <laughs> It's fine. Again, take this movie for what it is. You got going def- to space is fine too. Well, yeah, you defended that. You think that's fine, and I think it's stupid that we have a laser space battle. So I'm going to be saying, okay, RoboCop suits fine in context of this movie. If this was in Skyfall, it's stupid. It's in Die Another Day. It's fine. Um, and I like the little the interaction there when he's basically kicked Bond's ass and he gets the parachutes. Oh look, parachutes for the both of us. Not anymore! I just, I love that. I just think it's great, and kind of as you were saying, Colin, like, he's just an obnoxious little shit. Um, and just, it works, although he's pretty dumb to put it on and realise that Bond can actually just rip the cord and do what he does. Um, I do like the, time to face destiny, time to face gravity, and off he goes, dead. Um, then, yeah, Bond and Jinx are going to go down together, um... I remember watching this, and because as we sort of established in Goldeneye, fucking love Ferraris. Um, they are just, yeah. And I cried in this scene when we see a Ferrari getting sucked out the back of the plane, which ends up in the Korean farmer's water hole. Um, they're going to die rich. They're in a helicopter. Great. Um, they save, and the Koreans get a couple of free cars and also don't notice a giant 747 basically blowing up ahead of them. But whatever. It's just North Korea. It's just normal. Um, I, there's a, there's a sequence that I absolutely love. Um, we shit all over the special effects in this this film, but when the we see the mines getting blown up in that sequence where Nicarus is kind of going through there, there's that, just that constant scene where it's kind of like boom, 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 and these big, huge landmine explosions. I think that looks awesome. Um, and anyway, uh, we should mention, uh, as far as no one didn't mention this, uh, we're back to MI six. Money Penny is just on a normal little uh. Uh, mission thing. Mission, not a mission. Um, she's just typing shit up. Um, great, good for her. And then in comes James Bond. And again, remember this vividly in the cinema when this happened and we're seeing Money Penny. James grabs a tie. They start making out. My dad turned to me and he's like, What the? They can't kiss. It's Money Penny and Bond. No, what are they doing? See, and your then, dad isn't an idiot. <laughs> we realise. <laughs> 
But basically, Money Penny's got a battery-operated device at this point in MI6, and he's just going to town with a cigar. <laughs> Awkwardly walked in on by Q. <laughs> and I do love the line. And yeah, you're stupid. It's a stupid line. It's not even funny. Rather hard, isn't it? Yes, very. <laughs> just the look on Q's face. Every single time I see this scene and they cut to Q and you see that look at his face and we hear that music and we have the sweeping shot of that the, the beach and everything. For some reason, I always think that Q has put on the glasses and we're about to see a fantasy of him running down the beach, like going, hey, like having a day off. I don't know why I always just think that. But anyway, uh, we then get a shot of a house. Um, don't pull it out. See, it's a perfect fit. Leave it in. Got to come out sooner than later. Uh, and that's when we get the I'm so good, I'm bad or whatever it is, especially when you're bad. Jinx laughs. Um that's it for Brosnan. Uh, <laughs> and then we get a fantastic remix of Die Another Day in the credits. And that is Die Another Day. Um, I, I enjoy it. The sequence is fine. It's not the best uh, final sequence of all time, but it's there. Uh, apparently, the final showdown was originally meant to take place in an indoor beach resort in Japan uh, before Lee Tamagotchi changed it to a plane. So maybe one of the few things he did okay. Um, I, I like the battle sequences between Bond and Graves and Jinx and Miranda. They're fine. Good way to end the film. Uh, I don't mind Money Penny masturbating. I'm sure she's got to get off every now and then. She's got a hard job, literally. And, yeah, the final scene of them in a little hut with the diamonds, it's there, I guess. It's no Christmas comes once a year. Um, but, yeah, I'm just sad it's over. Uh, first of all, great plot holes here. The fact that he bring my father down to speak to me and his father for the first time says, I don't know you. Shouldn't he have been asking that over the previous two days he spent with this man in Iceland wondering why am I here? (laughs) No. And shouldn't his father be wondering how he's like, what did you do to yourself? Instead of saying, how is this possible? Gene therapy isn't a thing. (laughs) He should be quoting the audience at this point. Um, And the second thing, the idea that they send the nukes and Icarus takes out one of them. Hmm. And then even his father's like, they'll send nuclear warheads. And then he's like, Icarus will swat them out of the sky. Well, not if you send two at the same time from two opposite directions. You can only point one place at once. And this thing moves incredibly slow. (laughs) One of my favorite movies of all time, Superman the movie, was smart enough to know that even Superman can't stop two nuclear warheads at the same time. Just it makes no sense at all. Uh, I'm, I'm more and more down on this movie the more we talk about it. Usually it's the opposite. Um, okay, so the RoboCop suit. I think I've been criticizing this more than anybody. Uh, if it had just been the suit, fine. But with these ridiculous visors that he's wearing over his eyes, which I don't know the purpose for them. Oh, it's the dumbest look ever. And this is what kills Graves as a villain. Like you said, no, I mean, he looks just stupid. It's it's not something where it's even like cool technology. I mean, the the dream machine, I remember marking down in my notes that it just looked really dated because of how sci-fi it looked. But even that at least looks kind of cool. This doesn't look cool at all. This looks like something that a kid watching a cartoon would look at and be like, that's a dumb outfit for a villain. This guy's a bit of a tool. (laughs) And the electricity that it shoots out, like, why are we seeing electricity? Like, and why is it purple? 
<laughs> I mean, if you electrocute somebody, the electricity is coursing through their body. The body's conducting it. You don't see these electrical shockwaves surrounding Bond's body. It's certainly not being purple. Like, I don't understand how that even works. We don't see electricity. Like, this is just getting worse and worse by the second. <laughs> the, the Jinx Frost fight, as I said so many times, there is nothing that Halle Berry does right in this movie. And strangely enough, I don't mind this fight scene. There are a few things I mind. I mind Jinx doing a backflip off of a wall partly because Halle Berry is the least believable action star ever. It's the same problem in X-Men. She does none of her own stunts and it shows, and she doesn't even look like somebody who's capable of doing this. The the triple backflip on the floor, whatever you were, gymnastics routine that she bored from Bambi and Thumper, like, again, just ridiculous and what's supposed to be a great moment. But maybe it's just the fact that Miranda Frost is in this scene and that she's a great sadistic villain. I love when she's just holding it to, you know, her throat and talking about getting to the point. Maybe it's the fact that she's in her bra for the whole sequence, but I barely notice Jinx in the scene, so I don't mind, up until when she kills Frost, which is the dumbest thing ever. Like, Halle Berry is going to be able to kill an Olympic medalist in fencing. <sighs> it's unacceptable. I, I, you notice how many times Noah and I have just become flustered, almost to the point where we can't even word our sentences <laughs> in this episode? Let's cut right to the parachutes for the both of us, which, like you said, I like that line. Um, I think that Toby Stevens plays that cocky part of the character well, but again, just the fact that he's this angry, he will blow up a country that there's no motive for him other than the fact that he has anger issues. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. If he has anger issues like this, his father's aware his father would have never appointed him to be a Colonel in the first place. <sighs> no. And the, the helicopter escape It's funny. You talked about the cars. Cause I saw this one of the times I saw this, uh, I went with my brother-in-law who is probably the biggest car guy I've ever met. Uh, he loves cars so much that he loves Bond movies. I mean, he he he's the type of guy who actually likes the dumb stuff in a movie like this. So I was expecting... Dying that's Day's my type of guy. Favorite. He is your type of guy, yeah. He's an idiot too. Um, <laughs> 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 but uh, I'd say it to his face and he'd laugh. Anyway, <laughs> but I was expecting you. you'd be on the this ground. would have been... I was expecting this would have been his favorite Bond movie ever. And he was so upset at seeing the cars flying out of this that when the movie ended, he goes, yeah, it was okay. I'm like, well, what was wrong with this? Like, I don't like the cars getting wrecked at the end. Like, it bothered him that, and that much that the rest of the movie was a write-off for him, which is funny that you are just like him. Uh, <laughs> you two make Thanks. a great couple. Think of it. <laughs> I'm not you. My sister wouldn't really like it, but uh, yeah. <laughs> and the final scene. Oh. Come on, the, the, no, pull it out. Like, there's one thing about being suggestive, but again, Halle Berry just looks like we're going down together. Come on, some subtlety here. And the last line, for the final thing we could say on this, I'm so good, especially when you're bad. Worst thing in the world to say about Halle Berry, best thing in the world to say about this, because this movie in some ways was so good it was so bad that it ended the series like that is the most appropriate line especially when you're bad for pierce brosnan to speak in the final words of this film and this film series because they had to reboot after this it wasn't even salvageable like you only live twice or diamonds are forever or anything else oh wow noah do you have anything else to add or are you officially asleep <laughs> well the fact that the last five minutes of Pierce Brosnan's era of James Bond is 
Samantha Bond masturbating and Halle Berry <laughs> fingering her belly hole. Um. With another establishing <laughs> exterior shot of MI6, might I add. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's the end of Pierce Brosnan's era, which probably sums up this film pretty well and how far the Bond films came and why it needed a reboot. Um, yeah. Money Penny just going at it. What the hell? Again, it's using the ah oh, shocker. They get together in the twentieth film, the fortieth anniversary. I know it was all a dream. It's just cheap and lazy writing. It's ridiculous, and it's awkward to have Q stumbling on Money Penny masturbating. Like <laughs> that is not the character of Money Penny. I'm sorry. No, and I am officially. Over Samantha Bond, and so glad we don't have to see her in James Bond anymore. I will not miss her at all. Um, it's it's awkward, and I feel awkward watching it when Q walks in. It's you just, prude. She, what's she doing? Oh, she's masturbating. Fuck. It's natural. Try it <laughs> at work. It's natural in a James Bond movie that's PG thirteen. At We're work, sex in this movie. Well, masturbating nothing. Secret agent. Secret Service at work. <laughs> you will never again be able to look at her sitting behind that desk without wondering what she's doing under the desk right now. She's providing a secret service to herself. Where did James Bond hat go after Thunderball? <laughs> I just this is how far the character of Muddy Petty has gone. They went from uh, flirting between Sean Connery and Lois. It was cute. It was just back and forth. To Samantha Bond going at it, fingering herself in the floor on MI6 while James Bond is in wherever, God knows where, in a hut with Halle Berry. Hold on, can I point out the the funniest thing about this is that this is a virtual reality machine that runs on programs. Who wrote the program of Masturbating with Bond (laughs) version 2? This is a pre-programmed program. It's like it connects to your brain and has whatever you want. So Q's <laughs> being a perv and programmed the scenario where Bond and Money Pity get together. That's just even more <laughs> weird. That's creepy. Oh, my God. Wow. This, that, that just took a kind of sinister turn that Q would be the one to program such such a scenario for... Maybe it's to practice, like work relationships or something from James Bond, but that's a just weird harassment in the background, and This is how he kicks back on a Friday night. <laughs> this is just, yeah, I think I've pretty much summed it up, but I can't believe this is the end. Although I do like the, the end of Brosnan, kind of, we get a little scene from each of the crew members, even though it's kind of inappropriate. Um, and then good, bad, oh, shut up, he's... Should have kicked Halle Berry off that cliff, a la BB. I mean, a la Locke reference, cl- mm. kicking him off the cliff. That would have been a good final reference to the past of James Bond, if he put her in a car and kicked her off. Um, yeah, and what is this hut? It's just okay. They're in a random hut, and she's shoving diamonds into her belly button. No. I should also mention this is if you go back and watch this is the moment where the music is clearly you know the da, 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 from you only live twice. Is it though? Yeah. Because I was it's thinking not like they, they, they're they're changing it up a bit, but it's very clearly based on that. No, I wasn't paying close Special enough. Special note to the soundtrack. I like the soundtrack to this movie. Oh, you're an idiot! Then you're a fucking moron. 
He's See, we so don't even need to say it anymore. Ben just knows it. He understands. <laughs> I'm just preparing myself. All right, I just need to wrap this up. Uh, James Bond will return. Well, maybe he might return. <laughs> Shit, this could have been the end. Um, that's it. We need to get to our final things. This is, episode's gone longer than the film itself, and that's a crime. So let's move on. Glad to see it over. The end of Pierce Brosnan is Money Penny masturbating, and Halle Berry and her diamond sex. We will uh, eulogise correctly Samantha Bond in our next episode because she deserves it. Um, now we would have, if we had time, gone over all the uh, references, but um, yeah, we don't have time. Uh, the ones we didn't mention: Survivor, uh, <laughs> Survivor, James Bond Wiki. Um, it's got a nice collection there, but there are other sort of forums on the internet where they go through, and obviously but don't no go on was- forums. Though. No, don't go on forums. Yeah, two reference there. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Yeah, um, all right, all right. Never been picked up, so I feel proud. Let's get to these final bits. Let's start off with, I think, appropriately with this guy. Box office. And Peter Travers, he is a stupid idiot. But don't read his stuff. Idiot. Um, okay. Been waiting um, a very long time. The reason why we really have him in it, but we'll get to him in a second. Uh, box office, first of all. Uh, say what you will about this. Say that it might have been the death of James Bond, all this sort of crap, blah, 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 blah. Same with Moonraker. Was the highest grossing James Bond film at the time. And let's point it out. Actually, pretty well shat all over the world is not enough it made close to 40 million dollars more which back in 2002 was a fairly big deal and 2002 was a pretty big year for movies um i remember that sort of the year of the the, the block well not that other years haven't been the year of the block star Master, wars yeah spider-man of course um yeah a heap of movies came out the year but 160 million 942 remained the highest grossing film four years later casino royale but casino royale only beat it by seven million bucks um and then quantum of solace only beat casino royale by one million bucks so uh there you go if you adjust it for inflation uh it goes uh, drops only one spot down to sixth 230 million and 50 dollars 800 uh just behind moonraker and just ahead of uh tomorrow never dies globally uh 432 million dollars it made now mr travers i have been waiting for him to uh redeem himself (laughs) number 10 uh he puts it just uh below uh thunderball and just ahead of live and let die uh, he says, the fourth, last, and best of the Bond movies with Brosnan. He looks like he <laughs> has a stick up his ass in the other three. It's full of wild stunts that are no substitute for the Connery cool, but will do a pinch when all you want is a blast of pure escapism. Here, here. Brosnan shows grit as 007 emerges from North Korean prison camp. Junkies for FX may die. The biggest box hit in the franchise that time as Jinx, NSA agent, Bond conquest, Oscar and Halle Berry does wonders for a bikini, just like the one that almost covered Ursula Andress and Dr. No. Madonna wrote and the title song does a cameo fencing instructor that won her a well-earned Razzie is worth supporting actress there you go Peter Travers he is a stupid idiot he'll he come said, back like great stunts so we found the one guy on the planet that actually thought the kite surfing was done for real <laughs> <laughs> maybe he um, is a stupid idiot alright let's now cross into Mr. Kiss Kiss 
bang bang count. That's great. Um, now uh, I'm sort of confident-ish on the kills. We'll get to that. Uh, Bonds, Jane's Bonds, just the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. All right. Martinis. We had two. Yes. Yeah. Yep. All righty. Uh, Rooty Pooties. We had two. Yes. Although... Unless you count Money Penny masturbating, <laughs> we don't know if she finished or not. <laughs> well, I'm not going to finish that sentence. Uh, all right. <laughs> Kills. Uh, yeah, I'm a bit iffy on the opening sequence, but I'm going to say I have sixteen. I have 15. Ooh. I have zero. <laughs> I'm sick, and I just couldn't deal with counting during this film. I'm sorry. Uh, I have six in the pre-titles. How many do you have, Ben? Uh, <laughs> Twelve. <laughs> well, do you I think I, hold in on. all fairness, though, I think I did count, like you mentioned with the diamond explosion, they just knocked him over. I rewound that so many fucking times, and I just assumed that five people who fell over died, so I counted five there. But um, uh, I think that he, I think he only kills one person during that escape, and then the rest die in the hovercrafts. Mm-hmm. But I got six there. I put Mr. Kill, even though it's technically jinx because bond does move his head slightly so i guess he's part of that uh, kill i thought that was a jinx yeah i put that as jinx. yeah i i, I consider it a shared one um <laughs> there's the, there's during the escape from the ice palace there's really only the one time where he rams into the two snowmobiles mm. everybody else was kind of just knocked off their feet and then of course zao uh graves and then i got the four people that dude again due to just his gunshot yeah being four guys got sucked well, out of the Well, I question that. I, I didn't count it, but... Because, I mean, I basically had no counted. kills from the opening sequence until the guards that he hits and runs. I, I, did, I didn't know if we were going to count those or not, because I kind of thought you two wouldn't, but, I, yeah, I, I assume they're dead. I he would. did drive over them. Um, so, really, I've included an extra few people in the opening sequence and then didn't count the guys at the end. And I mean, I'm happy to put 15, I think, more so. Yep. I'm happy because it's my number. Well, 14 because I that was a jinx kill. Yeah, we can put it at 14. Uh, 15, again, I, I, 15, I, put I, it with, I put it with a question mark, so I don't care if kill's in there or not. I'm going 15, if we're happy with Okay, that. fine, 15. Um, Nobody wants to argue. Let's just die another day after I'm all. I'm going 9. Can we, can we just go 15 and consider the franchise as the final kill? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lee, Lee Tamahawkey is... <laughs> 273 kills were up to 53 sex, 17 martinis, <laughs> 23 Bond James Bonds. We'll obviously summarise how many Bonds... And one yo mama. Uh, <laughs> we'll we'll summarise where Brosnan stands against the other ones in our next episode, of course. Let us go into... It's the whole, the whole with the classic scenes. Classic scenes. It is the whole, the Hall of Fame. Um, now I think we're all in agreement. Hall of Shame again. I think we're all in agreement of the car chase. Are we not? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm happy to put the the sword fight up. Yeah, Um, I like that one. That's one of my least favorite moments in Bond history. Well, as was mine with the introduction of Timothy Dalton in Living Daylights. That made it in. Well, so did the Thunderbolt underwater. <laughs> Which you, I think, were the one who brought up if we go back to that episode. No, not the sword fight. Sword fight. 
What else no, do you want to put Comedy in? Inc. parried uh, for how dumb it was. So? Well, they parodied like Lord of the Rings parody. and all these other things as well. Does that make them dumb? Well, you hate Lord of the Rings. So? so bring, up, bring up two scenes that are better than that that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, this film is shit, so nothing. <laughs> um, I think the Q scene is a good one. The Q scene, even though it pales in comparison to other Q scenes, but what else have we got to work with? Kite surfing? <laughs> the car scene, the Q Hover- scene. I reckon hovercraft and swords. No, uh, the Q scene over the swords. No. Yeah, I think the Q scene is a good one. I think the car chase is a good. I don't really care. The hovercraft, I guess. If there was a scene where Frost was in there and it didn't involve Jinx, I would put her up for something. Bond being tortured just because it's unique? I think the Q scene isn't as great. I mean, it's great, but we had the Q scene last movie. There's better Q scenes than this. But there's not better scenes in this. <laughs> Yeah. I think hovercraft and swords are easily better than not the Q scene. Swords. swords, not hovercrafts. Hovercraft, not swords. All right, Q scene and swords. How about that? No, not swords. Then bring up a better one, Noah. You're outvoted, Noah. Colin's been outvoted before. I don't like the hovercrafts, so I guess it comes down to. I don't either. Like better. Swords. I'm taking swords. All right, so Ben is the deciding factor. <laughs> Because he likes swords better than hovercrafts. That's one and... of my least favourite scenes in James Bond. Sword fight's locked in. Get over it. All it's right. going to be one of your least favorite Bond movies. I think it's appropriate. Let's, uh, let's now uh, move geez. into... <laughs> 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 Rankings, baby. I'm going last. You know I'm going last here. Colin, give us your rankings and your final thoughts on the film. I was fully prepared to surprise everybody with this by not ranking it uh, that close to the bottom because I've always looked at this more of as a bottom five movie because I had a lot of fun watching in the past. And I think something unfortunate's happened within the last three years since I've seen it or maybe it's just a different perspective and being able to discuss it, not not having the movie over with after two hours, but actually having to look at it and be like, what did I really just see there? Because I would have probably put this maybe at number 15 or 16 before. I mean, I definitely would have ranked it ahead of You Only Live Twice, maybe ahead of A View to Kill, maybe ahead of The Living Daylights. But somebody's killed it for me on this rewatch. And I think there are good moments there. Like, Zhao is a fantastic henchman. Uh, Frost is a fantastic Bond girl. I mean, Frost is probably going to be pretty close to top five for me when we do this, if we, you know, are including the villains in there as well. Uh, the car chase is great. It's just Gustav Graves is not that even that bad in this, but Halle Berry kills every moment of this. And then you add on top of that all of these sequences. It's not even just the obvious things like an invisible car and kite surfing. It's it's the fact that this entire plot makes no sense about let me show this thing to the world even though it looks hideous and people are blinded by it. I'm going to present it like I'm saving them. Gene therapy, which I don't know why that gets mentioned less than an invisible car because it, it makes even less sense. The laser scene, which is so over the top. There's no subtlety with this movie. This has gone from being maybe a number 15 or 16 on my rankings that I'm going to put this second last at 19. I think License to Kill is worse only because it's boring at moments. And there's nothing boring about this movie. I'll give it that. 
it's just it's it's bad um i didn't think i'd ever rank it this low but yeah this is this is a second last movie easily um last uh, <laughs> <laughs> um that's like veto days uh veto <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of interesting though because I'm more inclined to watch this more than some of the other lower ones purely just because you can laugh at how bad it is and it can be fun sometimes like Colin said License to Kill is boring in a lot of t- places while this isn't necessarily boring but we've pretty much summarised why this is bad um I don't have too many positive things. And like Colin, this rewatch just lowered it for me. And there was a time in the past where I wouldn't have had this last. I would have had it maybe fifth last, sixth last, because it has some fun moments and there's a bit of a nostalgia factor there. But like Colin said, just to bookend this episode, I'm not young and dumb anymore and have grown out of that. So, um, well, in some ways. Uh, So... Yeah, I just don't... I don't even like Gustav Graves. I didn't even talk much about him. I think he's annoying. Um, and there's just so much wrong. Buddy Penny masturbating. Brosnan's weakest performance. Um, just the plot, the comedy, there is... It's non-existent. It falls flat every time except for a few Q moments. It's just... I don't have much positive to say. I like the car scene and there is some fun stuff in this film, but ultimately objectively and a lot of subjectively this is one of the worst and at this rate there's only one possible one that could take over that spot at the bottom but it wouldn't be unrealistic to say that this will be my bottom film now and it wouldn't have always been but for now it is and we can never say die another day again thank god and we live to see another day, something day, I don't know, move on from this. This is just horrible. <sighs> die another this day is, be sad. is a lot of fun. I said it throughout this episode. I said it at the beginning. Check your mind out and just enjoy it for what it is. It's, it's cartoony. It's silly. It's, it's enjoyable. As Colin said, it's not boring. Um, this is just easily, if I'm wanting to watch a James Bond movie, I guess I just want to watch something like this. This is probably in the top couple that I will put on if I'm just wanting to watch Bond. It's just there. And I, I disagree. I think this is not Brosnan's weakest. I, I, and the only person in this episode that likes Halle Berry. I like Jinx. Get over it. Whatever. Uh, Graves is great. Q is great. The song is fantastic. Um, you know, this isn't the the greatest Bond film by far. I'm not going to put this at number one. It's just fun. And it's just, it's really, you know, I said about sort of being a, a view to a kill apologist. I guess I kind of said that maybe more so than Die Another Day. But as much as this film for you guys has obviously lessened your liking for this film, it's maybe gone up for me again. I just always enjoy watching this. I just never get sick of it. And yeah, there are bits of it that make me cringe and I don't like, but every Bond film really has that in all ways. I said throughout the Brosnan ones that I ranked them all very highly. I said Tomorrow Never Dies to me was my least favourite of the Brosnan ones, even though I still really like that film. I put Tomorrow Never Dies in at ninth. So you know this is going to be higher than ninth. 
Um, so it really kind of was whether it was going to fit in f- 5th, 6th, 7th, or 8th. Um, it's going to be ahead of The Living Daylights. It's going to be ahead of A View to a Kill. And it's going to be ahead of License Kill. Number five. Bring on the laughter. Number five. Die Another Day. Number five. We're this just thankful you didn't rank it like number one or two. You thought I was honestly going to rank it that high? Yeah. Well, five <laughs> is pretty high. Um, it's still below Majesties and Spy Who Love Me. So, you know, I'm not that No, dumb. you can't salvage this. Don't try. <laughs> <laughs> and there's still every likelihood that at least just, one film will go ahead of this. Possibly two. So I've, I've enjoyed the progression of these podcasts because back in episode whatever it was, Diamonds Are Forever, everyone in the world was laughing at me. Flashback the next 10 or 15 films and no need to laugh based on Ben's top 10 rankings. So thanks, Ben. (laughs) You've done good for me. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, That brings us to a close. Our next episode, of course, will be our 90s slash 2002 retrospective. We're basically just going to do the Brosnan retrospective, as we mentioned in our 80s episode, rather than doing 90s and covering three films and then doing 2000s and covering one Brosnan and two Craigs. We're just going to cap it at the, the Brosnans and then we'll do a separate Craig one. Now... I guess in terms of our next film, I see a bit of debate going on here. I didn't think there was any debate. I assumed we were just going straight into Casino Royale reboot. I didn't think we were doing the 50s and 60s ones, but maybe we will discuss this more off air. But based on the chronological order, uh, 2006, uh, Casino Royale, obviously big reboot for the franchise in the age of reboots. And look, I guess I, I like it's a great film. Casino Royale is a fantastic film. I'm not going to say it's not a good film. There is just so much about the Craig era that we've sort of alluded to that Noah and I might have questions. I don't know so much more if it's Noah and I are similar feelings on it or, you know, one more so than the other. But based on the James Bond that we all know and love and we've talked about for 20 episodes in terms of the film ones up to this point, it is just such a huge, 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 huge changeover because it's a reboot. We're going literally right back to the beginning and yeah craig as bond i'm not a high up on him as i know a lot of people are it's a different take on the character i get that but you know i i often see these craig films as great films not necessarily bond films and i'm sure we will talk a lot about that in the next few episodes having said that out of the four craig films we've seen casino royale it's between this and Skyfall, to spoil it now, as as the best of the bunch. Um, And this is a fantastic film. So I'm looking forward to talking about it because it's a completely different take on the character, as I've said a few times now. And, um, yeah, really going to change up, I guess, how we sort of go about talking about this and, um, yeah, continuing on our episodes with it. So I'm, I'm excited to kind of get to this sort of where we're up to now in James Bond, the modern incarnation of the, uh, the series. Well, I think that Daniel Craig and the Daniel Craig films are <laughs> so much better than you're giving them credit for, um, especially Daniel Craig. I mean, he, he took on a role that most people have written off at that point, and people wrote it off. We're going to talk a lot about this when we do get to it, but the time in between these, Daniel Craig was not uh, really somebody that the public was excited about. In fact, to this day, every time that there is debate over, oh, they cast this, they cast Ben Affleck as uh batman people always say look everybody hated the idea of daniel craig and now he's considered to be maybe the the best bond next to sean connery 
and I kind of agree with that. I think that I have a soft spot for Pierce Brosnan, but uh, Daniel Craig really reintroduced this, and the, Casino Royale especially is just, it's a near-perfect movie, and it's so good that we finally got to go back and tell the one story we didn't get before. It's the one experience I had where I knew the story going in, so it, it's kind of interesting, you know, having read the book, something that I didn't really get to do with the other Bond movies. And, uh, yeah, I love everything about it. I mean, there's, again, for me, more locations that I was able to see in this movie uh, that it's it's cool to go back and rewatch, be like, oh, yeah, I remember what this looked like from this different angle and everything. And uh, this is, hands down, one of my favorite Bond movies. I, I don't think there's any debate that those are, that this one and Skyfall are the better movies, but uh, it'll be interesting to see where we land on Skyfall versus Casino Royale. But bring it on. I'm excited. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the film. I hate to say this, but I'm kind of with Ben on a lot of opinions here. Um, not sure if I wanted to be lumped into that category, but I can't. Hey, Colin um, did it last episode. You're, you've got to join me yeah. eventually. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, I'm excited for it. It's a reboot. I don't like the direction that the series has gone in, but I appreciate that it almost had to do that. Um, this kind of saved James Bond after this abortion of a film um it's it's just going to be interesting the way we look at it because i feel like daniel craig is almost universally loved so it's going to be interesting to hear some debate on it um but it is one of my favorite daniel craig ones one of my favorite bonds really and i feel like it will be a reboot for the podcast as well um we're heading into a new more serious era um, so I expect our episodes to be even sillier. Uh, no, I don't know. But, yeah, it should be fun. It's a new era. I'm not only that, but we're heading into the end stretch of this podcast of covering the film. So that's bittersweet. Um, and as for the other Casino Royales, never seen Barry Nelson's Casino Royale. Seen the parody one a few times, but a long, 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 long time ago that I remember almost nothing about. So it'll be interesting to see what similarities there are in those films. But, yeah, can't wait to enter the new rebooted era of Bond. I've never seen either of them. So based on my track record with never having seen other ones, <laughs> I'm looking forward to maybe not wishing I'd seen them. Uh, well, uh, we've officially can mark this as the longest ever episode of Double Seven, and uh, and that means we can never talk about Die Another Day again. It's <laughs> official. We've talked about it. all we have. Let's stop. Five to three in the morning for Noah and I at the time of recording this. So uh, there you go. Subscribe on iTunes. Uh, talk on the uh, message boards if you're not Colin. <laughs> um, send us an email. We do have one. And um, other than that, uh, yeah, enjoy listening to this. We appreciate your support and time listening to this, especially listening to this episode, the episode that you have been waiting for us to do and are probably glad now that we've done it. Uh, my name is Ben and your mama. <laughs> and I'm Colin and I will take the one thing that I have control over in post-production and say you're welcome to all of you who are tired of hearing Die Another Day listen to this song that is not Madonna right now I'm Noah Graves and hopefully I'm going to wake up and analyse this analyse this analyse this and for the fact that Colin screwed me over in thinking that he can do it Let's play a bit of this and close it out.
So you live to die another day. This will be your 20th, I believe. How time flies. I'm after North Korea. A tourist? A terrorist. The American was a nuclear warhead. Icarus will swoop them from the sky. They'll blow it all at once. Pulse 72, blood pressure 120 over 80. Liver not too good. It's definitely him then. Mm. M warned me this would happen. Come on, put your back in time. You seem to work 24-7. Is it true that you don't need sleep? Plenty of time to sleep when you're dead. Ornithologist. Wow. Now there's a mouthful. Looks like we're going down together. I take it Mr. Bond's been explaining his Big Bang Theory. Oh, yeah, I think I got the thrust of it. Um, I was, um, just testing it out. Yes. Very. Put your attention. Well, it seems you've become useful again. I see you handled your weapon well. I have been known to keep my tip up. No, you're cleverer than you look. Still better than looking cleverer than you are. Oh dear. You want to continue? Of course I want to bloody continue! Oh look! Parachutes for the both of us! Whoops! Not anymore! Gene therapy. New identities courtesy of DNA transplants. Yes, but it's for the future, so get used to it. It was so good of you to bring your gun to bed with us. Occupational hazard. Well, come out, see any advice, if you can spare it. I'm Mr. Kill. Well, there's a name to die for. He did, too. I didn't know he was that desperate. I'm so good. Especially when you're bad. Well, drowning you didn't seem to work. I'll have to try something more to the point. Maybe it's time you let me get on with my job. Who sent you? Your mama.